Don't waste that morning voice. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr. for the Dale Jr. Download. Uh, back again. We got a great show today. We got Mike Helton in, in the studio as our guest. Mike Davis, the co-host. Matthew Dillner, Leah, everybody's here. Uh, we're recording for NBCSN for Tuesday's show. Yeah. Is that going to be on uh, at five, 5 o'clock, o'clock. or what? We're I mean, back to Jesus. five. None of this midnight hour stuff. Man. <laughs> hey, we did good at midnight. Did by we? The way. Yes, we did. Oh, wow. Okay. We, were, we were up to at midnight. midnight. Damn, that leave us at midnight. Now. says a lot about <laughs> our fans. <laughs> <laughs> leave us at Night owls. Bunch of late hours. <laughs> well, I'm excited about this show with Helton. I've, you know, we'll get into it in the conversation with him of why I'm excited, but this is one I've been looking forward to. Let's get going. Look into your glass ball. Not so long ago, in a galaxy basically in the middle of Warsaw, episode 257. It's an episode of unrest in the Dirty Mobedia Studios. Rebel Matthew Dillner is in command of the motherboard. A swift and daring Alabama Davis is the leader of the resistance. Meanwhile, Princess Leah continues to resist the dark side. And a retired, yet relatively young Jedi, equipped with Google. And I Google. And some sort of laser cut. Let me shoot that thing a few times. Okay, shoot. Is staged to host the show and defeat the powers of darkness, which is not a reference to our guest. Sorry, Mike. There's that gun again. Really? Anyway, may the Dale Jr. download be with you. And also with you. <laughs> what in the hell? <laughs> you have too much time on your <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> what the heck? I don't even know what that was. <laughs> I don't even know what that was in reference to, but I loved it. <laughs> we, we, we woke you up. Yeah. Wow. Are they are they insinuating that Mike Hilton is Darth Vader, like the dark side okay, of the force? Yeah, is that right, what he's doing? I don't know what we're doing here. Well, that makes sense. Jedi Dale. <laughs> oh man, I, there's a lot here. We got a, we got a big mm-hmm. show because there's so much going on in motorsports, uh, from the Indianapolis um, qualifying to um, the All Star Race weekend. So mm. let's dive right into it. First off, we had some grassroots racing this weekend. Um, I watched uh, a lot of racing. But we had Josh Berry racing for Junior Motorsports in the Cars Tour at Motor Mile. My man led every single lap of the race. He's running into turn three on the white flag. Got the, got the, uh, the victory in hand, no problem. Nobody's near him. A guy decided to dump another guy uh, and brings out the yellow. They don't finish under caution there, so we re-rack them for a green-white checkered. On the restart, I think we went a lap. Uh, so we're going. Uh, we're getting the white flag coming into turn one. Bobby uh, McCarty, this guy that uh, was a champion last year, really talented driver with a great team. Um, they got underneath Josh, did a little crossover move in three and four. So he's underneath Josh now going into turn one, and uh, Bobby uh, didn't really turn left when they got to turn one. Jeez. And uh, he said that Josh was trying to crowd him, but Josh never even got the chance. <laughs> Uh, Bobby just doored him in the in the in the driver's door, and turned Josh around, and uh, they had to caution for that, and 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 Bobby went on and, and won the race in a thrilling finish. Um, he was apologetic, but 
it was it was aggressive and and uh unfortunate josh led every single lap obviously we were di- we were disappointed as a team and josh was di- you know josh was there living it um and and i thought he handled himself pretty well considering and, and bobby did too i mean in his interview in the post race i thought he was uh you know it was a subdued celebration uh because he i think he felt like he knew that it was uh it was not the way that he wanted to win the race but did Josh go say anything to him? I don't think so. I, I don't know exactly. I have tried to reach, uh, tried to get a hold of Josh yesterday, and I didn't really uh, get a chance to get get any more information from him about his experience after the race. But he didn't throw haymakers in the window. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> and that's a reference to to Newman and Boyer. But um, golly, man, I'm sitting there. It seems like this year Josh has had an unbelievable car. It just came off a win at Ace. I mean, let's let's not get too greedy, but. Uh, we've had a dominant car at a lot of races this year, and and just had some been roughed up, you know, got got moved out of the way at uh, at one race at Southern National, and that's racing. Uh, you got to use the bumper, and I told Josh, I said, man, you got to be more aggressive. These guys are going to lean on you, and you got to show them that you're, you you'll do it, you'll return the favor, and or they'll keep doing it, and they'll use you up, knowing that you're not going to do anything about it. So it's been a it's been a lot, even though he's won f- over you know, over fifty races in late models, he's still learning lessons hard lessons uh this this year and and um still got a great shot and and we're in good position in the points uh for the cars tour championship and um it's been exciting to watch that you can watch that on cars tour tv uh just um google's cars tour tv and if you you know you want to watch those races uh i'm watching them it's a lot of fun dude you tweet about that every week by the way and it still feels like if, if there's anybody that has never taken the technological advances that we've had over the b- ability to be able to watch races on your computer over the weekend, you appreciate it more than anybody. And I feel that every time you tweet about it, because yeah. it's like, I'm watching races all weekend because I got my, car, I got my <laughs> yeah. computer here and I got yeah. this here. And you love that. Couldn't have done you? that 20 years ago. You love it. it. All right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you owned a car, so, you know, so imagine, Mike, if you were the owner of a car, but yet, you know, your schedule didn't allow you to go see the races in person. And you couldn't watch them. I mean, you had to basically just kind of get text messages from whoever's there. Or, um, just the most primitive ways of sort of keeping up with the action as it's going. Um, and then all of a sudden, now you can watch them on your on your iPad, and 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 it's very good coverage. You know, there's, is, there's is great it? commentary and a um, lot of different camera angles. I mean, it's well done. It's well produced. Uh, the Cars Tour and and the and the folks they work with, they do a great job at bringing the action to 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 the home and. Uh, Making it fun to be a part of it, they inter- they interact with uh, tw- uh, you know Twitter and okay. social media online during the race. Uh, I you know I tweeted in and, and several other people as well commenting about the race and so forth. So it's it's kind of fun and entertaining. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So and and there's a lot. I can't even list all the different places that you can go watch racing, whether it be uh, World Outlaw, uh, Midgets. All there's just there's a there's a place for everybody. Uh, Fans Choice TV covers uh, carries a lot of different racing every single weekend. I mean, it's everywhere now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Speed Fifty One. We can't forget about uh, the Dillners <laughs> and what they do for short track racing and bringing that to to the house. Being able to watch that at comfort of, comfort of your own home. Anyhow, you know, very disappointing. I, I'm not going to give Bobby a lot of for for turning Josh around. It's it's racing. You Don't know? do it again though, Bobby. Well, I just told Josh. I said, man, you know, you just got to. You got when he, when when you got the opportunity to do to return the favor, uh, do it. Don't waste a lot of time for it, thinking about it. <laughs> All right, Bubba Wallace. Let's talk about Bubba Wallace this weekend at the uh, All Star Race. Prior to that, Bubba Wallace. I you know I 
I haven't talked to Bubba, and I haven't read any transcripts uh, of of any kind of media that he's done since. But he spoke out about um, struggling with, I guess, depression. It seems like for a long, he, and if you know Bubba and you see any kind of interviews that Bubba does uh, in the media center or after after a good or a bad finish, uh, he is out. He's he where he's. He's out there with his emotions. I mean, he does not hold back anything. Totally transparent, right? Yes, and, and so and I've and I've noticed that in him, um, his reaction to running second in Daytona 500. You know, his his reaction when things aren't going his way, his willingness to uh, to confront or or speak out about competitors and so forth. I mean, he's just always been pretty transparent, and so. I don't, you know, the the revelation, I guess, that he's suffered with some depression or some 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 struggles uh, mentally uh, doesn't surprise me uh, because of how he wears his emotions on his sleeve, and also the situation that he's in is very difficult. I, you know, he wants to win, he wants to go out there and compete. He feels very confident in his ability to do that. Um, he's had some, you know, even before. This particular situation with uh, with Richard Petty Motorsports, um, you know, he's learning a lot about how to navigate the waters with a team that's that's um, underfunded and 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 hard pressed to keep up with the big teams. It's nothing new for that company. They've done this a while, and and they do they've figured out a way to do that. Figured out a way to to make that work. But uh, it's a new experience for Bubba. Before that, even he's had some difficult times. He, you know, with the Roush Fenway experience, where th- you know his his ride sort of dried up and disappeared. Just uh, he's he's kind of been through the ringer, if you will. You can't fault the guy, I guess, for having some uh, moments of doubt and 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 disappointment, and want, you know, going home and thinking, man, is it, can it get any worse? You've had it. Oh yeah. And so, yeah, I guess I did this this past weekend at the All Star race. I don't know if everybody knew. I don't know if everybody watching knew about his uh, admission to to you know you know dealing with some some difficulties uh, mentally. He he goes out there and just laid it on the <laughs> line, like I could not believe what I was seeing, and I don't know whether that was sort of a a big you know. Uh, I don't know if that you know maybe his uh, maybe the his, maybe him being able to say that and get that off his chest and say look man I've been struggling I I feel down I'm disappointed maybe that freed him of some of his anxieties and some of the some of the I don't know some of the some of the struggles that he's had on the on the professional side ups and downs yeah maybe that's maybe that freed him and made him feel like hey I got nothing to lose. Maybe all the help, or maybe all the support that he heard, that he heard and, and received, you know, after you know, telling us about his depression, maybe all that gave him this newfound, I don't know, uh, it, uh, of not giving a damn yeah. and letting her all hang out. Yeah, right. So we go, we get to the All Star race of the Open to try to get into the All Star race, and he almost gets, he almost wins the first stage, just aggressive and not, not really anything anybody can complain about. I mean, the guy, it's it's. It's win and get in. You got to go. He's not. He's he's not going to win the fan vote. L- little do the teams. Little do the fans know that. Uh, although it's not been announced, most of the teams are aware who won the fan vote. All right, and so Bubba knows. Hey, I'm not going to get in on the fan vote. I got to win. 
I got to win to get in. And, and he went out there and was extremely aggressive in a great way for us as far as viewers and uh, put on a hell of a show. He, he doesn't uh, win the first segment. William Byron snuck in there and, and got it. And I thought in my mind, oh, man, that's deflating. You know, and he's. I know. You know, Bubba's just told us about his history and his his his, his uh, mental struggles. Is this going to be uh, the wind out of the sails? You're right. You're absolutely right. not. No. Nope. Bubba Bubba went back out there even more determined, like pissed off, and continued to be aggressive. What a damn show, man, dude! I just was so. You know, I'm proud of Bubba, but but at the same time, I'm like, man, thank you, because. What matters in racing is the drivers and, and the driver's ability to deliver the show. And damn it, Bubba was one of the guys that day that was delivering the show. There were hell several, yeah. several drivers that did that. Bubba gave us a hell of a time, absolutely gave everybody their money's worth. Um, so, so, Bubba, thank you. What did you make of his uh, emotional, uh, the aftermath? It's tr- it's. it's Typical Bubba Wallace. I mean, it's, it's what crazy. you come to expect. It's, it's everything that we've seen from him beforehand. Just as I mentioned, his second-place finish at Daytona, we, he had the same sort of emotion, emotional sort of, I don't know, uh, breakdown or transparency uh, during his media center uh, with his mom there and everything. And the same thing, he gets out and he's just – he knows more – he knows better than any of us what he's dealing with, all right? So – when you you know people always say like you know be be kind because you don't know what that person's going through right right we don't know everything that bubba's going through and he's not going to tell you all the personal <laughs> that he's dealing with we don't know it might be far worse than we even we even think we know so sure. um it's i mean obviously he feels like he has you know when he when he win, when he gets his way into the all-star race he and that team are the ones who know best what they've what hurdle they've come, uh, jumped. You, you know what else? For a moment, it gave us this rare opportunity to really understand how difficult this sport is. You know, not not often we get that. We take it for granted because you know, like you know, setbacks and hurdles and challenges. That ain't Kevin Harvick having a bad pit stop, so therefore he finishes second and not first. Or it ain't you know Kyle Busch not winning every single truck race. It's Guys like Bubba Wallace, who had was not on anybody's radar to go into the All Star race to, to race his way into the All Star race, and that it's like he showed up to a black tie fair with his tux on and sat his ass down on the front row and and wasn't going to be stopped. That's that right there in that moment of release uh, when he just his emotions came out. That's when to me I feel like oh yeah yeah. This this is hard stuff. The pressure these guys are under, it's hard stuff. And we don't ever we don't ever get that every week with the storylines that we're fed because of these top guys. They got it all right. Yeah. They got it all right. I loved it. I love Bubba for everything that he is. Yep. I love that he could cry like a grown man. <laughs> Commend the crew as well, the team for giving him a car that, you know, that could get the job done, complimenting his effort. Um awesome job by them. It's it's not uh, and it's you know it's all star race it's the open there's not a lot on the line unless you win that race for them to go out there and, and throw down like they did guy finishing the top five for the all star race after driving his way in the open awesome yeah awesome there was work. that there was that too yeah I mean it wasn't a fluke you know it wasn't it wasn't a fluke or situational 
with those short segments and that open and the guys, different guys taking tires and staying out and all that strategy, you can sort of get in a situational deal where a guy can can have some really good fortune just because of things happening around him, guys' strategy and so forth. He went out there in the All Star race and showed that it was it was uh, it was a real true performance and uh, good job by those guys. Uh, Nothing else happened in the All Star race. Yeah. Punching and fighting, man. <laughs> yes. um, obviously, um, Boyer and Newman had some uh, action out on the racetrack, and then it spilled over into the into the uh, the final uh, cool down lap, uh, ending up with Boyer hitting the fence. And um, you know, there's not a lot of great footage of exactly everything that went down uh, to know you know exactly who turned who and and why why Boyer really ended up in the wall. I don't know if Newman was intentionally trying to do that or what. But it, uh, you know, eventually you got the footage of Boyer running over to Numa's car and punching the hell out of him while he's sitting there on pit road. <laughs> and great for TV, great drama, great for, for great for ratings, great for everybody. <laughs> Maybe not Newman, but yeah, great for everybody else. Newman didn't seem too bothered by it. No, I called Boyer uh, yesterday and said, "Hey, man, I got to ask you about Helton. You know, they're they're great friends. I wanted to." See if he had anything that I needed to know or ask. And he starts immediately as soon as he picks up the phone. He knows who it is. He goes, oh, man, I'm sorry. (laughs) He's like, I shouldn't have done that. I'm like, I'm not even calling about that. I'm calling about Helton. Uh, Newman's fine, so don't even worry about it. And that's really the way I feel about it. <laughs> he went into apology mode. <laughs> well, I apologize, well, man. He just selling some tickets. Yeah, that's, the next day. So when you do this, when you do this kind of thing, uh, your reaction to it the next day is now I'm in the, <laughs> now I'm in the middle of all this. This is going to be footage that I'll see as a driver for for not only yeah maybe for the rest of my life, but certainly for the next several years as they try to sell tickets and 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 tr- attract viewers for this All Star race. Hell, they'll probably use this for. For other races that aren't for, you know, for yeah. the Roval, for the po- they'll yeah. probably use it for the Pocono uh, preview. Yeah, right, Charlotte Symphony. Yeah. <laughs> Watch Sonoma. Come by, take it to Sonoma. Pow, pow, pow. pow. <laughs> the uh, and it's uh, and so you regret it, and you're like, huh? I wonder if my you know my dad or my mom or you know who have I embarrassed by this activity? Your kid, maybe. Right. So. You know, I think that's Boyer's reaction, which is a lot of people would have that same one if you are in the middle of that mess. Uh, for us that aren't in it, it was great. I guess my question is, is where, where's, where's, where do you draw the line? NASCAR obviously is going to say, hey, man, it's, you know, we talk to them. They're good. Uh, the, we feel good about where the drivers are. They, you know, we don't want them going out on the track and using their race cars as weapons and doing crazy like that. So, I'm, you know, that's all nice. But where do, they, where do you draw the line? Like, uh, how many times does Clint have to punch Newman in the face, uh, or for it know, to be too on much? Pit road for for them to go. All right, all right, all right, enough, enough, enough. Well, apparently we know that it, it's it's he can do ten times and it not be uh, bad enough. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I just I just wonder. I guess I'll talk to you know we'll, we'll learn from Mike about yeah. where where, the, where where is the line between too you know too much fighting too you know too much chaos going on. Obviously they don't want big pileups of. Uh, crews and all that stuff spilling out into the pits, uh, but even when it's one on one, driver versus driver, uh, when when do they step in? Uh, pretty interesting, and 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 that's going to definitely bring the viewers and 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 the fans in for for next week's six hundred uh, or this week's six hundred. 
Well, hold on. I get that you, you, there is one big debate going on about that. Okay. Do you know what it is? No. Obviously, no. Was Boyer right or wrong for leaving his helmet on oh, yeah, when yeah. he was giving the doing the fight? Well, that's the thing. I, I I don't think that Boyer was going to take the time to remove his helmet. Right. He's going over there to hit him. He's not. He's he he ain't he thinking. Don't give, he don't give a about his head and his helmet. He's not thinking about the rules of the fight. I mean, there was right. a great conversation. Uh, there was a great conversation on social media between Brett Griffin and Jeb Burton <laughs> yes. that I thought was hilarious. Oh, really? What was it? Yeah. So uh, let's draw. Bring it up here. Leah, Leah, got it. Give us a little bit of the timeline. It's just a very. It's just a couple tweets. My whole thing is, um, it's like hockey. If if it's two guys, driver driver, let them go until somebody hits the floor. Knock if the, guy, the cr- like yeah, a, like a driver, you want to you're okay if a driver gets knocked out yes. unconscious. If somebody gets knocked out and then intervene, is if that somebody, necessary? If somebody's down on the ground, inter- intervene. For them to if have crews a, are involved, it's crap. For a guy to have a kid trauma, it's necessary for that to happen. You want a guy to get laid out. I'm not. I'm not against fighting. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I've, I you, fought for a lot of stuff. I'm not back against in the day. fighting either. What you know, him going up there and punching him a couple times, but I'm there's got to be some sort of a known. There's got to be rules. There's got to be. There's got to be some unspoken sort of conduct here. That's like hockey. Which when is, somebody hits the ground, you stop punching right. and they they pull pull you off. Well, all right. What's that's the, that's the, that's code. Okay, then what's the code if you're sitting in a car and a guy's punching? That's on? right. I think that that's ultimately like you're I don't. Strapped, I'm against that. You're strapped in. Right. You can't. I'm against that. Shit. Exactly. Yeah. I'm against that. Yeah. All right. So uh, Brett tweeted hashtag Team Boyer, and Jeb Burton responded, "I'll go with Newman." And uh, Brett responded back with, "You're too young to remember five ten skinny Newman. If you gain fifty pounds tonight, it won't make you a badass by Monday. A country boy should know better." So. <laughs> Jeff responds, correct. A badass would let the other get out of the car. Mm. <laughs> and Brett says, if I set out to whip your ass, guess what? I'm going to whip your ass, and you can make up the rules when I'm done. That's interesting. Okay. There's so, a lot to unpack there. Yeah, right? So I, I kind of – Jeb's right. Uh, if you're going to if you're gonna go – if you're going to fight a guy and, and let him get out of his car – so you can have a real fight. Yep. I, uh, what was uh, the one that comes to mind? Spencer and Kurt Busch. Spencer and the ki- Chicken Man at uh, St. Oh, Louis. Oh, Spencer Gallagher. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spencer, Spencer Gallagher. Gallagher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Where well, they're John, rolling around. John West Townley. Yeah, Spencer Chicken John. Man. Yeah, let's have that kind of fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a fair fight. That was fair. Oh, yeah. Just no punches, yeah. but yeah. it was fair. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> hilarious. They were rolling around in the grass <laughs> That's like what I love. Want. That's what I'd rather see with Clinton Newman. Yeah, we don't want to see no Juan Pablo Montoya and Harvick slap fest. But at the same time, the the my favorite part of that interaction between Brett and Jeb is Brett's. I'll make you know you can make the rules up after I'm done. I mean, I, I think you know that's most in in the heat of the moment when you're really pissed off and you want to go over there and you just want to take a guy and, and punch punch him in the face. You're not thinking about making it fair. You're not thinking about no. you're not thinking about anybody else's reaction to how this is going down sure. you're just going to go over there and punch him and de- well, deliver sure. a message yeah. there was a message that he was trying to deliver it was not a message of fairness it was a message of i'm not to be messed with the way you just messed with me Absolutely. that's what you're trying to convey it's not taking your helmet off it isn't like letting him out eventually newman got out and you know he could have done yeah. something then and he didn't absolutely and so i think clint was see- clint saw an opportunity a very small window to do that and taking his helmet off and all that wasn't on his mind Right. It wasn't intentional to leave the helmet on. It was just reactionary. 
he went over there to make his, you know, make his intentions known. You know, even if it was intentional, I don't know that I have a problem with it because you know Newman is like farmer strong. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, yeah. let's be real. He's got he's hay bales and cutting cows strong. That ain't Gold's Jim. So you don't believe in it, Brett? I listen. I'm, anal- I'll, I'll, no, no. Brett's I'm, description of of him is that he's 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 underneath all that's a very skinny, weak. I don't. I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. Yeah, and I don't I, either. And, and I don't want to be the one to find out by being fair by taking off my helmet. Can we get yeah. Newman on DBC now? Can we get Newman on DBC after well, that statement? Listen, well, I, I think Jeb and Brett are. But listen, Brett's take on this is completely predictable. All right. I mean, like oh, yeah, he yeah. he he was also on the receiving end of whatever they felt like Newman was doing. So I'm just saying, I loved all of it. I yeah. I had no problems with any of it. I really commend Newman for not beating him like an egg when he got out of the car. I yeah. thought when Newman – I saw <laughs> Boyer just haymaker, 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 and I'm like, oh, son, when he gets out, when Newman gets out of that car, it is going to be on. And they talked. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't believe the restraint that Newman showed. Yeah. And by the way, Boyer still had his helmet on during that conversation. <laughs> Boyer thought about, he was a lap down, which when Newman's uh, reaction there was like, I wasn't a lap down, you dumb. You know? <laughs> How that about was, they have an autograph session together this week? I, I'm going. Oh, <laughs> that's great. I'm going to get my autograph. <laughs> it's passion, man. Dale, I think you're right. Listen, I think that ultimately you're not thinking that stuff. I think that <laughs> we as fans can, can uh, you know, It's so use easy hindsight. for us to go, why didn't he take his helmet off? Why didn't he let him get out? And why didn't what? he? I mean, what the hell's going on here? Is this an organized fight or what? This is a pit road dispute. Where I mean, I've I've drove you know I've seen guys coming down pit road and getting t- getting uh, jack handles swung at the race car. I mean that's just short track racing. Yeah, you better have your damn head on a swivel because uh, somebody <laughs> might come in there and punch you. Right. I mean I've been on <laughs> I've been on pit road. A Tony Senior come at my window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Who wants that? Yeah. So. You leave your helmet on for that. T- is right. that is that why you always put your helmet on before you got in the car no. and always kept it off when you got out? That is not why. Okay, but maybe you was and it's just kind of a subliminal. Keep your thing. head on a swivel. I mean, it's you, there's no rules, but no you, rules. Yep. There's oh, no so rules. there is none. But you, I mean, this we saw. We saw. Well, I'm wanting to know when it when when NASCAR is going to step in. Obviously, I'm you glad they didn't. If a guy, you know, if you're sitting there punching a guy repeatedly, uh, just beating the shit out of him, eventually somebody needs to make a cut it make it get it you know come come to an end and and there should be some kind of repercussions for it going too far go getting grotesque right but, but, I, but yeah but the question is did you think it went too far well, not, Mike, no, no. you don't not think for it me i for me i think it's fair and you know what happened i don't i, I agree that they shouldn't find them um nascar's made this sort of uh statement that they're they're reverting back to their old ways and 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 making some you know stop going after this new you know imaginary fan and 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 sticking to their core fan base and and what got them here uh and i think that's what got them here mm-hmm. you know what you saw what you saw happen on the racetrack what you saw happen on pit road and their reaction to it is circa 1975 1985 1995. I mean, that's really right. how things were done and how things were handled in the boom of the sport. I'm good with it. And you know what? It made the all-star race mean something yeah. again, right? I mean, you haven't seen emotion and in, in, in carrying on like that after an all-star that's race right. in a long time. That's what, that's what it's about. Yep. I liked it. More of it. More. Kyle Larson wins 
the uh, all-star race, but he doesn't know how NASCAR works. <laughs> tell Did me about see that. This? No, I, I, I saw it, but I wanted you. To, I wanted you to tell me about it. I didn't want to go read too it, much. It's into just it. a transcript that popped up on Twitter. All right, let's hear it. I cannot. Un- I, I, obviously, we don't know the tone of this conversation, whether Larson was being uh, sarcastic or not. But Larson, <laughs> I don't even know if this locks us into the playoffs or not. Moderator, it does not. Sorry, <laughs> Larson. I was hoping you were going to say it does. Don't we get some kind of playoff points like, you know, maybe? Moderator, no. <laughs> Larson. Wow, that sucks. Moderator. But you want a million dollars. Larson. Yeah, dang. Oh, my gosh. So, I, I just, you know, <laughs> surprises the hell. I mean, if, certainly he has to be joking. I, no, God, no, 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 no. I know you drivers. I know you guys. I, I yeah. know you. You guys are oblivious to most things that would the be rules, obvious. To, yes. uh, yeah, like the rules and those things. Yeah. But now, maybe this is because they get, they get changed so much. But yeah. I'm, but but look, I, I don't think he was kidding. All right. Well, Larson uh, doesn't know how NASCAR works. I, I would know that. I would know the fact that the, you know you don't get playoff points. You, I, there were some rules that I didn't give a shit to know about. <laughs> um, mostly, those rules pertain to penalties. Uh, what what kind of penalty? Like, there's a some are, some penalties might be a pass through. Some penalties might be a lap. Some penalties you might get held 15 seconds. I mean, on, um, typically these are pit road violations and so forth. I don't know none of those. And somebody will always tell even you. As yeah, a broad, tell you even as a broadcaster, uh, when something happens on pit road, I'm like, I don't know what the penalty is for that. I, I guess we're all. I'm gonna <laughs> oh find out. God. I'm gonna find. That's out what you got, Latart. He's the crew yeah. chief. He can know that. Yeah. I, I never had to worry about that crap. You know, as a as a driver, I just left it up to Greg to tell me, look, man, we got to come down and do X, Y, Z, and then then we're good. And so for the longest time, I never had to worry about it. But as a broadcaster, I'm sort of having to f- learn. Uh, you know, the the what I would call the the deep uh, <laughs> confines of the rule book and, and, and understanding what every penalty is. Uh, but that really surprised me. I, Larson, to me, seems like, you know, there's been – I've heard conversation about uh, his knowledge of the car or the lack of it. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard that he's like, hey, man, I'm the driver. I don't have to worry about X, Y, or Z or understanding how things work. I just, I just drive the car. And – it seems to to be consistent here with that particular uh, exchange after his win. Uh, earlier in the week, uh, Denny Hamlin uh, was asked, uh, does the sport need a 600-mile race? I did see this. Yeah. Uh, Denny Hamlin, his response is no. The sport doesn't need anything in particular. I don't think that anything is totally necessary. If the race was 300 miles, you'd have the same core group watch the race, possibly even more that are interested because it's not five hours long. And then he was asked, is there any part of tradition that you like? Tradition, smedition. <laughs> smedition. It's whatever, he says. All sports adapt and change. I hate it when people say, well, that's the way it always was. Things are different. I'd be just as happy with a Coke 300 trophy as a Coke 600, to be honest with you. I'm for whatever, but I certainly know that my friends, they choose to come to the All-Star Week, not the 600 Week, because it's just too long. They don't want to sit there for five hours. And so... This kind of brings me to this. So we had an awesome all-star race. Mm-hmm. That should quiet down the concerns of moving the event or the how do we fix it conversations that you have for so long. This all-star race has been awful. Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, there's talk of moving it to Bristol and, and Martinsville and all these different places. My opinion on the whole sport is this. If the drivers deliver, and they did, 
an exciting race, then we can stop talking about shortening events, moving events, getting rid of events altogether. That goes for the Bush Clash, the Duels, the All-Star Race, the World 600, Dover, Pocono, and anywhere else in between. Mm. You can cut, alter, or remove whatever <laughs> you want, but it's all pointless and unnecessary. Providing excellent action and compelling personalities is what matters. Leave everything else alone. There's too much equity, mm-hmm. tradition, and history creating value in the sport, and that needs to be preserved. Great racing, oh. great drivers. Great racing, great drivers. That's all that matters. Well, the drivers got to continue to bring it. Do what Bubba did. Let it all hang out. That's right. Well, well you know, he, Denny, Denny doesn't care about the history, so he won't really care if he's in the Hall of Fame or not, I guess, someday. <laughs> Whatever. That Don't really, matter oh, to him. Got Listen. It. It got under your skin a little well, bit too. Huh? It looks like it, uh, which I, I could have. Uh, I could have. You could have predicted that. that. I get the point that Denny's making. Yeah. By the way, I get what he's saying. He, he but I got to be honest. I disagree with him. Not because of probably the same reasons you do. I just like the idea of having one race that tests Six. the endurance of, of these drivers. Yep. You don't need them all. I listen. I got a short attention span too. What? But, I, but I'm just telling you that yeah. a 600 mile race seems to test people. I know how Dale. Didn't necessarily love those extra hundred miles either when he was racing. Yeah, but it was a test of endurance for the for the drivers' stamina and also the the equipment to last an extra hundred because they're already putting it to the extremes already. And so it's a you know sometimes it becomes a race of attrition and strategy. And I think yeah. it just give me that one race that gives me that. I have to say, if you take Denny's point and and pair and and couple it with uh, Dover Pocono. Uh, Sonoma, any a lot of you know eighty percent of the races, I agree with it. Mm-hmm. I would I would be as happy winning at Sonoma if it was fifty laps or one hundred and fifty laps. I would still be it would mean as much to me one way or another, and I wouldn't. To me, there's no equity and tradition in the length of that race. Mm-hmm. The six hundred though is the six hundred. Mm-hmm. It's one of a kind, and straight. and to me that would be one I couldn't agree with. Uh, uh, I couldn't agree with Denny on that particular point for this this specific race. Uh, the six hundred, you know, it's a, it's the six hundred, mm-hmm. and and I, I go. I talked about the clash, uh, the duels. There's been conversations about those uh, changing or going away altogether. Uh, there's equity there. There's a, there's history, and if those races are exciting, we would be. In love with them and want them, everybody would be wanting them to stay on the schedule, you know. And and it's not the fact that the race has become obsolete. It's it's the action. It comes down to the drivers, the action on the track, the personalities, the guys delivering. If they'll deliver it, we'll want more of it. I want a race that you hate hate it when it's over. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. want it to end, you know. And I think the drivers. Uh, Deep down inside, feel the same way. They want to have fun out there. They want to enjoy what they're doing. They want to be in the. They want to be in an awesome, fun environment. And so, if we just produ- you know, if we just provide a product uh, that, that does that, much like we saw this past weekend at the All Star Race, maybe all the drivers didn't actually love how the cars race or or the package and all that stuff. But damn, it was fun to watch. It was such a good race. Yeah, it was a good race. I never thought in my mind, man, I wish this was shorter. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why they had that open. That's pretty, uh, pretty ridiculous. Pretty, yeah, but he wasn't talking about the All Star Race. That you I, have I, thought I'm that just, about the six hundred. I'm just no. I'm just saying, like, you, if if you want to take this point, uh, you in in couple you of any race, to, right. apply it anywhere. Yeah, we never felt that. We never felt this way about the All Star Race. Right. You know, there's been conversations about taking the All Star Race to 
and, and merging it into the 600 weekend to give the teams and the drivers and everybody an, an extra off weekend. Marcus Smith said there's no way he's doing that because it would it you know it would take away from the importance of this race altogether. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I agree. And, yeah, and I do too. The All Star race would it, it would minimize what that race means. So the fact that that conversation is going on, I, I mean, once you once you have an amazing race, that conversation goes away. Yeah, that's so, right. So for me, just give us our action. Yeah, that's all we want. Great racing, great drivers. I'm going to the Indy 500 this weekend for the first time, and you are. I haven't heard. Yeah, so <laughs> I got asked to drive the pace car whoa, whoa. over the past couple of days. Yeah, that's cool. I know. I was a little nervous about it because I'm a NASCAR driver, and and I feel like that might in in some ways it it could be viewed as sacrilegious or or blasphemy for a NASCAR driver to be leading the Indy 500 field. It's I understand that this is like a a the motorsport event uh, in the country especially in the eyes of, of the open-wheel crowd. Um, so I, t- I took that into, into consideration when I was uh, being asked to fill in for, uh, who was it? Al Roker. Al Roker. So, w- well, I thought, hell, man, it's Al Roker. I'm filling in for Al Roker. It's not like, uh, I think that, that in itself made it okay. You're not filling it wasn't in for like Parnelli Jones. Or Mario Andretti. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, if they were like, hey, that, that is the point yes. I'm trying to make. So, um, everybody, um, you know, it was going to be Al Roker and, and Al's a great guy, I'm sure. And he would have done an awesome job. Couldn't do it. Something came up in his schedule, I guess, that, that made it uh, difficult for him to do. And they asked me and I thought, wow, what an honor. I'm, I can't believe I'm even being considered for this. I will be there. So I might as well add to uh, my experience of seeing the Indy 500 for the first time. So that's going to be awesome. Anyhow, with that said, um, you know, I've, I've watched the Indy 500 for years. I don't know that I tuned in that that much to qualifying. Uh, mm-hmm. I knew who you know was on the pole and and uh, you know bump day and and the and the battle for the final row. I don't know that I really plugged into those those particular uh, occasions in the past. But man, uh, I was watching yesterday in that final row battle. I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's last name. Kyle Kaiser. Uh, Kaiser, Kaiser, Kaiser. I thought it was Kaiser. I but hope it might it's be Kaiser because it's like it's Kaiser cooler, so say, Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, right. It just sounds cooler. Um, you know that they, they they worked their way into the field. And, uh, Fernando was bumped out, which is an incredible oh, story. Fernando Alonso. Uh-huh. Oh, you're talking about a world champion. Yeah, I mean they just had a different. They uh, a lot of people's opinion is that they came unprepared and and uh, they didn't have the association that they had last year. Uh, he crashed too, and he crashed. And he crashed right. the one car that they had built. The backup was not up, uh, you know, up to snuff and same quality. Anyhow, pretty interesting uh, for for bump for bump day, and and then for the final row battle. I don't think it could have went any better for IndyCar for NBC. Uh, it has created a ton of drama. I think that even though Fernando's not in the race, they've built up a lot of value. And prob- and like and surely increased viewership opportunities for this race uh, with what's been going on this week. Is there a is there a short version of what happened on Bump Day that made that so dramatic? Yeah, yeah, ba- basically, to to recap it for you, uh, Fernando Alonso went out there, put up a speed that put him in the field. Yep. And then this small team, okay, that wasn't really expected to do what they did. Um, uh, Kaiser didn't have the speed. Really, they had also had an accident. They had, a, yes, they had an accident. Their car. Okay, uh, was one of the last cars and bumped a world champion. A small little team bumped McLaren 
And Fernando Alonso going for, you know, the triple crown in racing, you know, the big story bumped him out of the Indy 500. You want to talk about drama. Yeah. That, that, that team was going nuts. Alonso was just, you could tell, dejected. It was one of the most different bump days that I've ever it, seen in my life. It's all going down right at the end. Yeah. Right, right at down the, end. To the wire. Yep. And then Simon Pagano getting the pole there. That was drama, too. Yeah. It's just been really interesting. Uh, a lot of great storylines leading up to this Indy 500, making it a, a, something that uh, is going to be a lot of fun to watch play out uh, next Sunday. And even though Fernando's not in the field, I, I, I know for a lot of F1 fans, that's a big deal. Uh, that, that And for a lot of Indy fans, too, to have him competing. Anytime you get a guy like that to come into your series or, and be a part of your the biggest race in, in, in your series. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's awesome. You're looking forward to seeing how he'll compete. Um, unfortunately he's not going to be out there. I think it was very commendable that they decided not to try to purchase a ride. Yes. Cause there's always that after yeah. bump days, you have these opportunities to purchase a ride. They said, you know, we're not going to do that. We'll earn our way in and, um, good for them from you know from the little bit of uh, media that they've done post uh, getting bumped out of the field they they it sounds like they're going to come back and try again I don't know if Fernando's on board with that uh, just yet but you have to imagine that they would definitely want to come back and try to redeem themselves as a group uh, so that'll be interesting to follow in the future but man it's still going to be a compelling race I can't wait to get there uh, and experience it James Hinchcliffe he also worked his way in after some issues yeah. uh, so very 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 good buildup in storylines, and it's been fun to follow. A lot of the folks that cover our sport are, are covering this as well. Uh, Jenna and, and they've been a lot. They've been fun to follow Aaron on Bearden social media. And, yeah. yeah, over the past several days um, with the storylines, it's been. It, you almost feel like you're there or wanting to be there uh, sure. to to see this happen. Uh, so we appreciate um, you know the journalists and everybody and the hard work they're doing to keep everybody informed. It's tough being and trying to be in two places at one time. Anyways, looking forward to that. Uh, during with that conversation said, I mean, there's been there's uh, there was some talk earlier before we got to uh, qualifying in, in Indy that some owners wanted guaranteed spots. They, uh, uh, you know, kind of like NASCAR has, where you know certain teams are guaranteed spots in the field, and and there would be a minimal amount of of available positions to for for other teams to work their way into or qualify into. And uh, I think that man, this this experience, I'm not you know I'm not a expert in open wheel or the Indy 500. Uh, I'm going to see my first Indy 500 in person this weekend. But uh, with what I saw in the drama in qualifying, uh, the drama of bump day and the final the battle for the final row, I would have to say I love it the way it is. And I know that there's some other people as well that have spoke up. Uh, I think Bobby Rahal spoke up saying, man, leave it like it is. This is why this is so important. Uh, this makes this race so special. And uh, I think that, you know, honestly, man, you could look at NASCAR and the changes that they made to make guaranteed spots and argue that has that made things better? Has that made things more compelling? It's all about you got to say, you got to say, look, man, what, be, what brings people to watch? What, what's going to make people come see us do this? And has – has those guaranteed spots done that? I would say it hasn't, and I'd be careful. Well, it depends on how you look at it. Yeah. <clears throat> if you look at it from a, from the vantage point of uh, sponsorship dollars matter more than anything because yeah. you got to have lifeblood, and that the money is lifeblood. If you look at it from that point, 
then you would say it does matter to have guaranteed spots. I don't know. You could reverse engineer that and yeah. say you, you. No, no. You absolutely could. I mean, it just it, it matters a perspective. Yeah, it's just your perspective. But right, I, right, right, right. I'm saying is that from an owner's point of view, and I'm from an, an owner's I'm an owner point, in Xfinity Series, a guaranteed spot takes a ton of pressure off my shoulders, especially with the sponsors. It does not. I don't think it makes a hill of beans to my sponsor. That that's crazy. No, no. It, of course it does. That's why. I, that's why NASCAR is, did it. My sponsor is calling me, going, "Hey." Uh, how many people tuned in this week? How many people were there? Look, look, no, no. That's I, what my sponsor is looking at. My sponsor's looking at, at at viewership. You know, the guaranteed spot is to make the race. That is exactly why NASCAR guarantees spots. I, I don't like it. I never. I'm liked not saying it. you like it, but let's just be real. Yeah. That's why they do I it. I know gotta, why they decided to do it. Has yeah. it has it made things I, better? Uh, it, it absolutely takes away from the compelling. Re- I mean, look what, what you just talked about with Bum Dave Andy was insane. Yeah. That's insane. That is yeah. drama. I know. Okay, yes. that's better for the sport. I love, and I particularly like that. Yeah. I like that drama. It's like it's like taking a movie and editing out some of the more exciting scenes. It's not as good of a movie. Uh, of course, of course. All right, it's, it's not. As, of it, it's not going to be that. It's not going to be as good as it could be. And I think that that's what those guaranteed spots would do. It would take. It would take some of this drama that we just had uh, with Fernando and 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 Kaiser. So Kaiser picture jaws. Picture jaws without him going after anybody on the beach. Hinch. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. A, yeah just just just, in, just a shark. Yeah. You see a fin. What, that's hey, it. Chasing no one. <laughs> chasing nobody. <laughs> Serious question, because I don't know. Back when we had two day qualifying, yeah, was it was that were, were there guaranteed spots in NASCAR even with two day qualifying? There was provisionals, provisionals only, only. So that's right to yeah. fall that's back right. on. And champions that's fine. provisional. Yeah. Yes, that's but right. there was the provisionals. provisional wasn't around till yeah. like a nineties or sometime. Or yeah, it was the early. Th- there the, yeah, 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 early two thousands. Yeah. But there was those provisionals. You can you can use a certain amount. Uh, per season. Point, points provision. Points provision. Which was basically the I same like thing, but a, it was basically the same thing. If you were good in points, you could depend on that provisional, and that's sort of a smaller version of what we have in guaranteed spots today. I wish we'd go back to that. Did you only have so many provisionals to use for yes. a year? Yeah, it was that's, like five or something. Better. I yeah, like that. I, like yeah, it. Yeah, I, the, I remember that now. That presents some really interesting storylines. Story and uh, the great thing about having uh, – it did draw out the weekend and – uh, the great thing about having second round qualifying was the 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 energy in the garage. Uh, so you got guys that were locked in. Hey man, I made it. I'm in the top twenty. But now you got another half of the field that has to requalify the next day, and they could decide, Mike, whether they wanted to sit on their time or go again. Right. So you could say, you know what? I think I'm going to sit on my time. I'm pretty good with it. Well, a lot of guys could go out there and bump you out of the field, and you're done. You don't get to go back out. You don't get to once you made that decision to rest on the time that you have from the day before. Uh, you don't get a chance to redo it if everybody ever kicked your ass out of the race, and that was freaking intense, yeah. right? You know we, that's gone. You know that that's uh, all gone. You know now, like we struggle to have enough teams to actually fill out a field, uh, a fill out a field in which you send people to go home. Yeah. I wonder if that's a repercussion of that decision to have guaranteed spots like we do now. Because when you could leave it open, you probably have more teams that would try to go enter enter field. Certainly for the big races, yeah. right? I mean, like Daytona, you always have people to go home. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I think that you know maybe if we did have it back in the old days, you would have more more race teams, which I think that we would all love, right? I mean, you'd like to have more people, more underdog stories for sure, uh, trying to 
to, to make race their way into a field. Yeah, for for Daytona, there, you can count on one hand how many available spots there are for any team. Yeah. Any that's right. Any unguaranteed team, you know. Right. Uh, you're not going to have 80 cars show up. 40 guys, you know. You're not going to have 60 cars, 55 cars that used to come to Daytona show up. Try to you know, 15 guys trying to battle for those four place four positions. Anyways, uh, interesting conversation. I can't wait to hear what, uh, your experience at Indy. I think it'd be awesome. I'm I jealous know. of you. I mean, I, I, that would be awesome. Well, I w- wish you were going. Yeah, I wish I was too, but I got a camping trip at uh, Edisto Island. I got to oh go boy. to. So. Where <laughs> do Edisto Island? Okay, Edisto okay. what? Iowa I- Island. Island. Yeah. Where is Iowa. That? that sounds interesting. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, no idea. All right, let's move on. Before we get to the real meat of our show. Oh. oh Let's tell you about our friends at ButcherBox. Right now, ButcherBox is offering new members a free Ultimate Barbecue Bundle. It's free now. Mm. Plus $20 off their first box. Celebrate the start of grilling season with one of the best deals ever. The Ultimate Barbecue Bundle comes with three grill-ready favorites, including baby back ribs, Mm -hmm. two pounds of ground beef, and two New York strip steaks. That's incredible. That's crazy, man. That's a lot of meat. <laughs> Plus, you get 20 bucks off the first box. So start your summer off right with this incredible deal. ButcherBox makes it easy to get high-quality meat that you can trust. Every month, ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, free-ranged organic chicken, heritage be- breed pork, whatever that is. <laughs> that's, and that's old school pork. Wild Alaskan salmon directly to your door. <laughs> Salmon. Salmon. No, yeah. that's how he says it. Salmon. Well, yeah. I, I know he some said, say salmon. In his mind, he said it right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, my wife says salmon. Cook with the peace of mind, knowing that you're feeding your family healthy, high-quality meat that you can actually trust. By taking out the middleman, that's the grocery stores, mm. and purchasing directly from a collective of ranches, ButcherBox is able to buy meat at a lower cost and pass those savings along to you. Did we mention they deliver it right to your door? I've actually had this uh, butcher box sent to my house. It's really convenient. I mean, it's really how everybody's buying everything these days. That's right. From air filters for your house to meat. <laughs> um, you can, uh, you know, it's like they say, you cut out the middleman. That's how they're able to do this. It's such a great price. And it's really, really, really good food. Butcher box for the ultimate barbecue bundle. Absolutely free. And your first butcher box plus $20 off. Go to butcherbox.com slash Dale Jr. or enter promo code Dale Jr. D-A-L-E-J-R. That's two New York strip steaks, baby back ribs, and two pounds of ground beef free in your first box plus $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash Dale Jr. or enter the promo at Dale Jr. I mean, this is crazy. you got to do this. They're giving it away. All right, so Mike Helton's here. Been looking forward to you coming on the show you said that you've watched and listened to, to a few episodes, so you kind of know what uh, what this is all about. Does anything make you nervous? No, I kind of worry about things. You do worry about things? <laughs> well, I want to tell you something, man. I, I called a buddy of yours yesterday, and he said this about you. He takes over the room when he enters, demands respect without asking for it. That's Clint Boyer, and that's the way a lot of people feel about you. You can be an incredible friend, uh, but you can also – the fun thing, funny thing, I think, is, is that – um, when you need to chew somebody's ass, you can get that done too. And there's been a time, there was one time, I, 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 maybe there were multiple times, but I know one time when you had to get uh, get after me pretty hard. Uh, we were at Bristol Motor Speedway. 
Uh, I had a pretty good car, but for some reason I got shuffled out of the si- outside the top 10, and I was sitting around 10th or 12th. Uh, we had a car explode a brake rotor on the racetrack and threw brake parts all over the place. And there's about 15 laps to go, and we're running under caution. Typically, it, sometimes at this particular uh, situation happens, NASCAR red flagged the race, and I was wanting them to do that. But they they didn't, and we're riding under caution, and, and I don't see the brake stuff. I don't, I'm, like, looking at the track. Everything's great. Why are we under caution? Now I'm raising hell, like, really F-bombing, GD this. <laughs> and this is in the Bud days. Got Tony Sr. on the radio. I think he was encouraging me a little bit of as course. well. And uh, somebody comes on. I think our spotter comes over and says, uh, they want you and Tony to come to the truck after the race. <laughs> and I stopped talking immediately. I was like, oh, no. what? Ha- what? <laughs> and so that's when I learned, first off, that, they, that Mike Helton and uh, the guys in the booth listened to the drivers, right? Right. And so I was thinking, oh, man, they heard me. And so uh, anyways, you know, the race gets going. Um, I think that might have been the same race where I ran over Robbie Gordon uh, and he ran over me on pit road, but I'm not sure. But anyways, we got a couple spots, maybe finished eighth or something. Yeah. And we go up in the NASCAR hauler. And me and Tony Sr. still feel like we're in the right. We're going up in there, and on the way over to the hauler, me and Tony Sr. are going, we're going to tell him this. We're going to tell him that. We're going to – this is what – and so we're we're going in there with thinking that we're going to tell Helton our side of it, and he's going to go, well, you're right. Well, this if you put what, it like that, this guys, is what we, sh- we, we should have red flagged the race. So we go in there and sit down. <laughs> And as soon as, so we're sitting there, and it's probably five minutes go by because Mike's got to come down from the from the booth. And I've never really been in this situation before to where I don't know who's coming in there. I know Mike's probably coming in there, but I don't know who's coming with him. Or and we're sitting in the front of this lounge, uh, which you really never go into unless you're called. Like you don't get you don't go in there unless you're told to go in there. So we're sitting in this lounge, and me and Tony Senior thinking, thinking, thinking. And finally, as soon as Helton's head come through the Door jam. Tony Sr. and me and both go, ah, we start pleading our case. And Mike Helton said, both of y'all hush. Y'all aren't going to talk. I'm going to talk. <laughs> and he, I I mean, you were so mad. Do you remember this, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. You were so angry. And I was, and, and when I realized that how mad you were, I was so disappointed in myself for disappointing and angering him, mm. right? And if you know Mike Helton and you, and you if you're lucky enough to be friends with Mike Helton, like that's your reaction. I was thinking, oh man, I've I I've realized now what I've done, you know. And so he's from that moment on, I remembered, all right, they're always listening and don't do anything that's going to piss them off. Don't do anything <laughs> like you got a friend up there, you got a guy that you look up to, a guy that you respect. Don't do anything out there or say anything. And I, I tried. I probably, I probably pissed you off a few times after that, but, but probably not that much. Probably not that much. Um, <laughs> oh, so that was the most mad you've ever been at Dale. Uh, there was that. Hopefully, other time. <laughs> I want to know what really, he remembers about yeah, that. I really wasn't that mad at Dale. I just, I think it was a moment to learn that that we'll run the race. You run your race car. We'll run the race. If we believe we need to do something, we'll do it. We're we're not. I mean, we're human, so we can make mistakes. I didn't think we made a mistake that night, or I wouldn't have got that mad. But uh, the way he unloaded on the radio and everything, I said, "Well, this is a good time for learning a mm, lesson. It's maybe. a learning experience." And I learned or before that. I knew it, you're a, you're a good student. You you 
you absorb a lot and you take it and you 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 make it work. Uh, even sometimes if you don't agree with it, you figure it out. It's yeah. good for you to learn it. And but there was two or three things that happened that night that really got everybody upside down, including me. And so. They had Tony, nothing to do with us. All right, Tony right. Dale Jr. just oh, happened to be. It took Tony Sr. a long time to get over that. He was mad at me for a long time. Really? I'm not sure that he is yet. Really? Yeah. But uh, oh it, man, that, yeah, Did that I didn't know that. that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I I never after, beyond that moment. Like Tony Sr. is pretty. You know, wears his heart on his sleeve. If he don't think you're a driver, if you don't think you can drive a car, he'll tell you. Yeah. You're no driving son of a gun. And it's hard to convince him. Otherwise. And yeah, I mean, he 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 don't got time to to fool around. And um, I always thought he had a lot of respect for you. I, I never heard him say a word about you after that, but maybe y'all had some conversations that gave you that impression. Do you still – when's the last time that you've had to do that with a driver? When's the last time that you've had to sit down and straighten out a driver? I, I don't uh, – it's probably been three or four years. Yeah. Um, maybe five. Yeah. That's, that's on O'Donnell and that's his, and his now. group now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, I think the uh, – if it wasn't in my last one, pretty close to my last one was was Tony Stewart toward the end of his career. Yeah, but we'd had several. <laughs> yeah, with, so, with Tony. With yeah. Tony. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So he's not as good a student as you are. <laughs> <laughs> but he he. But it was a similar situation where where he thought he had it all figured out, and once I explained it to him, and it took some some doing to get it explained, and. He, he understood it, but it. Uh, I think that was the last round where we had, where our voices escalated. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you ever were tasked to to sort of handle a situation like that? Do you remember because you've been in a sport forever? Do you, how far how far how far back do, does that job description go for yeah. you? It was it was an early race in Martinsville. I think it'd be my first or second year. So what um, year do you think was this? This would have been 93 or 94. Okay, yeah. So you had to handle it. Yeah. Do you remember who there. it was? You've been yeah. chewing driver's well, asses you don't have for to say. decades. Well, listen. This was actually a crew member. <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm oh. sure that you have one. You have an opportunity for that almost every week, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, but this, this was a crew member that, that that didn't act right at the end of the race. And yeah. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Is that like that speech that he used, not to call it a speech, but a speech that he used on you, I, I would imagine that – it wasn't the first time, wasn't the last time to have to explain to the drivers that they don't have the best ideas on how to run a sport. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, like, uh, that can't be a unique situation. Well, in that conversation in the hall at Bristol, he's like, we had, we had brake parts all over the racetrack. We had, we had a reason that the, the, the caution was so lengthy. And we're going we're gonna to clean all that up. We're going to do what we need to do for the show you are the you're the least of our worries. Where you're going to finish and how good your car is and what you think needs to you know. And as soon as he started chewing our ass, I was like, "Oh my God, man! I I can't wait till we get out of here. Oh, I'm never going to do this again." You know, that's that's the uh, the type of emotion I, we've always been led to believe that comes with a talking to from Mister Health. Yeah, that, that that he brings that aura and that presence. Is that how was that? Do you know that you had that effect on them? No, but I, uh, I learned it from Bill Jr. Oh, really? Yeah, Bill Jr. was a pretty stern leader. Yeah, when it came to to making sure that the the athletes um, in the sport understood, you know, how it all fits together. And uh, I remember walking in a couple of hours with Bill Jr. early in my NASCAR side. This would have been like in '93, and and uh, I felt sorry. For the oh, driver. For the ones on the other end. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, and it, it, uh, there was one in particular. and um, 
Tony Glover, and he works for us now. So I'll, and he gets a kid. We we talk about this every now and then. And um, we we walk into the the trailer, and there's a whole host of people in there. But Tony happened to be one of them, and he was the crew chief of the car that day. And uh, he was sitting on the end of the sofa, and Bill Jr. and I walk in, and Tony says, "Now let me try to explain." Bill said, "Just shut up and get out of here. Mm. This ain't about you." So he ran Tony out. <laughs> and Tony probably didn't check up. He said, no, nope, Tony, you're right. Tony, I'm out. He gone. He gone. <laughs> Tony, Tony quietened down and went on out. And, and so we got the, that conversation over with. He was, a, he was a stern leader. It was his sport. And he was going to, you know, he, he worked hard to make everybody do well in it. Mm-hmm. But he was gonna, he's going to do his job teaching people where, how it all worked out. Did you guys ever have to have that conversation like that with that temperament with Dale Earnhardt? He and Bill got into it a couple of times, and Dale and I got into it a couple of times, but not, it wasn't a heavy temperament. It was just, it was a strong disagreement. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I know he and Bill had, and then I think I ended up in a similar relationship where you could have a strong conversation and just lay all the cards out on the table, say exactly what you're thinking, and get it over with because. The, the, the beauty of those deals, even uh, if the reputation of a being a bad guy inside the trailer and everything, when you when you left all that and you went on down the road, you were going to do something during the week where you're going to be staring at each other, laughing and, and, and shaking hands and being buddies again. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think – I don't – I think Bill Jr. and Dale probably got into more of them because Bill was to Dale Sr., kind of like Dale Jr. was to me. Dale, Ju- Dale Sr. and I were more like brothers, and so we would argue like brothers. Uh, but but Bill was a father figure. <laughs> right. And so it comes it comes a little different that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think Dad, uh, that gave Dad the comfort to be able to go into that holler and and tell his side yeah. and, be, you know, and, and stand his out. ground, lay it yeah. out. Who, so you talked about Bill being the – being the guy that controlled the sport or was, you know, sort of demanded respect and, and kept everybody in line. And you, you've been that guy. You're, you're the only guy that could walk into, uh, or get up at the podium of the driver's meeting, driver's meeting sometimes get out of hand, a couple questions get asked. Everybody starts chattering, a lot of conversation, a lot of talking and you there's lost control. And Mike would always, uh, stand up, walk over to the podium. Everybody, everybody stops chattering and, and and he restores order and tells everybody look this is how it's going to be that's what's going to happen carry on with the driver's meeting <laughs> and uh you're the only guy in the room that could do that there was nobody else in the room that had that ability i think jim has it now uh when he gets up there and talks everybody listens um uh, you talked about bill jr had that uh, ability you're not going to be here forever who's the guy is there a guy who's the guy that has that yeah, it'll be Steve O'Donnell's earning that. He is. Yeah, he's he's. I I walked into this thing when I came from running racetracks over the NASCAR side. I thought I was pretty smart. I thought I knew the sport. I knew a lot of people in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, run a lot of racetracks and in garage areas. And but man, when you come over on this side of the fence, it's different as night and day. So it took me a while to get my legs underneath me. And and O'Donnell, Steve is is has got a pretty good handle on it right now. Uh, even after Saturday night's brace, um, you know, he led a couple of conversations in the hauler afterwards. Did he? From guys off of pit road. We, so, don't, we, we don't know what you're speaking of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, no, we actually have a lot but, of questions about that. But 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 I think Steve's earning his stripes. Yeah. And he he's 
he's doing it as in, in his own style, in his own way. And I'm, in fairness, I think today's culture is different than it was back when you and I go around maybe or, or hang out. And, and, and Steve's managing that really well. And, yeah. and, how, and how drivers, <clears throat> how you have to deal with them? What do you mean it, uh, it's, it's different? And, and how you, like, discipline? Or just the relationship you build with them. You know, being stern gotcha. or being mean. Um, uh, not everybody does it the same way. Uh, I learned from Bill Jr., um, and kind of followed his route. But in today's world, I think the, the, the culture is more of, all right, let me try to get you to understand it one more time before I get mad at you. <laughs> you gotcha. Know, type thing where I just got mad and just got it over with, and I was fine after it was over with. Yeah. So I was talking about Jim France. He's, uh, you know, he's sort of taken over the reins, if you will. Um, how important is it to have a France family member uh plugged in to yeah. uh you know the everyday workings of the sport and and obviously at the racetrack jim's been around forever but he's sort of taken the reins uh visually um I, I can't say i know what he's doing behind the scenes but from uh from you know from being at the racetrack and being at the driver's meetings and so forth it's it's awesome and he gets up to the podium he talks with he's genuine uh you believe what he's saying what is but he's like i said he's been around forever what is his future what, what do y'all talk? Do y'all all discuss? Like, what is what is the potential for his future going forward in the sport? Yeah, I, I think Jim will will has taken the responsibility that he had to take, uh, and he will manage that responsibility for as long as it takes to get the right next leader yeah. of that caliber. Uh, I know he and Lisa are very close. Mm -hmm. um, he and Ben Kennedy are very close. Um, if Ben were 10, 15 years older, maybe 10 or 15 more years experience, uh, you know, that's certainly uh, as, as sharp as Ben is and the different things he's done in the sport. Um, but, but Jim is, is, he was always our best kept secret because no one would see him, but he knows this sport inside and out. Yeah. I mean, he just, he's, he's the son of the founder. He's been in it in his entire life. Um, in some form or fashion, whether it's a kid sitting at a dinner table listening to his mother and dad talk about the business uh, or being involved in it at every level you could possibly be involved from from driving a race car, riding a motorcycle, racing motorcycles, and, and, and running the companies. Yeah. And and what we've got right now is is Bill's brother, who has a lot of the same characteristics of Bill, certainly has the, the mind and that can see around corners and and see how pieces of puzzles go together, uh, and and is 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 as studious of the sport as anybody I've seen, um, and and that works for us. That yeah. helps us a lot putting pieces together right now. So, but he's gonna he's gonna stay in that role for as long as he feels like he has to, and he's fully committed to it. I'm proud of the way he stepped in, and he's he's running hard on both sides of the fence. And right now, like in Bill Jr.'s day, we had a guy that was running both the racetrack side of the business and the sporting side of the business. Well, we're back into that right now. Gotcha. Jim, Jim's the CEO or the chairman of the board of, of ISC, and he's, yeah. he's the chairman of, I, of NASCAR. And, and so that, that helps the sport. That will make the sport stronger, better, quicker. The hope is, I assume, I assume that Ben Kennedy is a big player in, in, in the growth of the sport, and his future is, uh, you know, 
maybe not pre-planned, but it's the hope that he eventually does fill that role for the France family. Uh, is that true? He, he, well, it's up to him. Yeah. But he has great interest in it. He's, he's as smart as a whip. Uh, he, he takes on something and he masters it. And then he goes on to something else to learn from. He's he's a great student of all that, and uh, but and and just a just a, a humble, um, non-assuming individual. He's he's but he loves the business. He 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 wishes he could still be a driver, but since he's not, then then he's he's jumped in with both feet and tackles everything that he gets handed to him with with great style and and learns from it. And, yeah, and that. The big thing is, is that he he wants to be in the business. Yeah, he's working his way up, similar to Brian. I mean, a lot of people don't remember, or a lot of fans, today's fans, don't know Brian's history, and that he had so many different jobs. Yeah. Every, I mean, it seemed like he worked in every department at some point. Um, I can see Ben sort of going through that same route, um, and maybe there's some lessons learned from Brian uh, versus Ben, whereas a lot of the a lot of fans today don't know that about Brian. And didn't have that respect for Brian uh, when he was given the reins of the sport. Didn't give, didn't have the respect for the history that he had and the time that he, the dues he paid, if you will. And I think with Ben, there's a great opportunity here if he is the guy for fans to know him now and know his progression. And mm-hmm. when he is in that position one day, have that respect that we had for 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 Jim or for Bill Jr. for you. That's my hope. Getting back to uh, your relationship with Dad, we. Uh, we obviously want to talk on that. When was the first time that you and Dad uh, – do you remember meeting Dad? I met him in the infield of Bristol in the Rod Osterlund car. <laughs> so that was – 1979, 1980. Yeah. Yeah. So I had heard of him, um, and I watched him race from a grandstand at, at Carowinds or someplace. I can't remember. some down here somewhere uh, before that. Yeah. Uh, but when, when he got in a cup car and he came to Bristol – um, I, I, I went inside and, and, um, uh, uh, I had helped some of the folks out at Darlington a couple races before that and, and had met Judy Tucker and, and Judy Tucker was Dale Earnhardt's membership club guru. Yeah. She did all the, the, the work for Dale, um, uh, and the Wrangler organization and all that stuff. And, and, um, so I had a chance to, to meet Dale and, it was an easy conversation to have. It wasn't anything that that it, it just seemed like we clicked. But even he, way back then, yeah, he had his mission, you know, at that moment. And but but then after that moment, when uh, we we'd hang out in Bristol or Nashville because I was still living in Bristol back then. You were working in radio. Yep, the, the WOPI radio in Bristol. But I'd, I'd work part time at the racetrack, which a lot of racetracks back then only used part-time you know you'd literally go in and clean it up two weeks before the next race and get it ready and throw some paint where you had to and cut the grass and then I, I but but I remember going to Nashville and hanging out and hitting and your dad would stay with Ed Clark in Nashville Ed had an apartment down there but he lived in Bristol too and and we'd hang out and 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 so just kind of watching him progress in the sport was my first attachment to somebody that that I didn't have uh, or that I didn't learn from from just being a fan of the sport, like mm-hmm. a Richard Petty or a, or a Kelly Arbor or Bobby Allison. Your, your dad was one of the first guys that I watched kind of 
you know, work his way up into being who he turned out to be. And and that was that was a fun deal. So way back then, you guys got to uh, connected. I mean, you go through decades of of being around each other and racing around each other. Eventually, you went over to uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway as a GM, yep. right? That was before Talladega. Yes. So you're the GM of Atlanta Motor Speedway. You're working in radio. You get a call to come over to uh, be a part of NASCAR, and 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 you're. What's what? What is being the GM of Atlanta Motor Speedway in I guess the 1980s? What does that entail? <laughs> well, you did. It was like running a farm. You did a lot of everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, uh, so so I was in Bristol, and Tom Roberts, TRPR. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. He's he's the PR guy in Atlanta, and he's going back to Nashville. He wants to go back to Nashville. He and Joni, and um, and he called. He we were at the race in Bristol, and he said, "I'm going to go in the." Back then, the track was owned by Walt Nix and L.G. DeWitt. L.G. owned Rockingham, but he owned half of Atlanta with Walt Nix. And I met Walt at the Bristol race, and he said, well, come on down. we got an IndyCar race in a couple of weeks. So I drove down there and hung out. And so I started off in the PR business at Atlanta. Oh. And then I worked my yeah. way up to being general manager. But even still, it didn't matter. If you were PR or ticket sales or general manager of the place, you know, you were general manager on race weekend. But the rest of the time you were Working you were like you were painting and cutting grass and right. making sure fences were right and all that other stuff because it was a small staff, uh, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, and you have a place in Atlanta now. Yes. Did you? Is that? Did you have that first? I mean, when? No. So, what? What's the connection to Atlanta? Is it from that job as yeah, a general well, manager? I met Linda, my wife, in Atlanta. Okay. And uh, so she's got a lot of family in that area. I liked Atlanta. Uh, but the, the, the piece of real estate we got down there, I didn't buy it until like 1998, mm -hmm. but I knew of it when I was running the racetrack. It was a, it was a cattle farm and, uh, I always enjoyed just driving by it because I just, really? I just, I just liked the, yeah. I just liked the looks of the big cattle farm and, and, um, uh, and then I left and went to Talladega. Mm -hmm. I left Talladega and went to NASCAR. It, did you know, I guess when you get the opportunity and you get the call to, to go to Talladega, you're like, hey, I must be doing something right. No, I didn't I didn't look at it that way. I just thought it was a great opportunity because I love Talladega. Yeah. I mean, when I lived in Bristol, I loved going to races in Talladega. I thought that was the greatest place in, in motorsports outside of Bristol to go run races. And um, uh, so when I got the opportunity, but backing up just a little bit, so in the, in the 80s, most all the racetracks were individually owned. So Atlanta was Walt and LG, and Rockingham was LG, and Bruton Smith owned Charlotte, but uh, somebody, uh, the Sawyers owned Richmond, so they were they were all individual, individually operated. Daytona built Talladega, so they were connected, and they were also connected on the NASCAR side because of the family. Right. So as the sport started growing, and you were looking at, and I think. Uh, most people that go through uh, Daytona and Talladega uh, do that because there's – in those days, the France family made a living off of racing. Yeah. That's all they had. You know, Roger had Michigan and, and, and Walt was selling airplanes and LG was selling peaches and, and everybody else had some other business. And the racetrack was not necessarily a hobby, but it wasn't its primary source of income. The France family depended on racing. NASCAR had to work right, Daytona had to work right, Talladega had to work right. And so I think when there's 
when you're looking at your next career step, if you had the opportunity to go to work for the France family, you did that because you wanted to stay in the business and you got the best opportunity. And and I was lucky enough to, to from Atlanta, uh, it was actually Jim Hunter and Les Richter that said, hey, you know, there's there might be an opening in Talladega. Right. You want to take a look at it? And I said, heck yeah. Right. Yeah. So you're <laughs> now you're in the family. That's my point. Like yeah. you're sitting there thinking, man, this is I must be doing something right. And there yeah. must be more. Somebody sees a bigger future for me in this sport than than what I'm seeing. It, but it is in your time as general manager at Atlanta and Talladega, what's the most epic race that you recall that stands out that you just to this day as a general manager? What is your what is the one that comes to mind? That's a good question. I don't. Actually, I was in Atlanta watching the race in Talladega when Bill Elliott made up two laps. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I wasn't running Talladega then, but I was running Atlanta, and I was in Talladega watching that race. And that's one that I just it, it comes to my mind when you talk about Atlanta and Talladega. And then later on, there were some great races in Atlanta, and I was running Talladega and come over to watch the race with when Alan Kowicki won the championship, but I was running Talladega watching the race in 92. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause the reason I ask is I would imagine if, if the explosion of fans and the, the, the reason to build on grandstand seats, the, the racing on the track and the, the stuff had to been amazing. And it was, man, I mean, you think about some races and, and some of the competitors back in those late eighties, early nineties, man, they put it all out on the line, both of those places, Atlanta, yeah. especially when it had that oval or, yeah. you know, that, uh, uh, the old configuration was fantastic. Well, that's what's great about walking through the Hall of Fame and you see the age of the cars, like all these little models sitting here, and, and these were real race cars. Oh, yeah. And you you walk through the Hall of Fame and you see the difference between a a, a K2 and a, and a, and a, a modern-day race car. That's, it's phenomenal to think that the pioneers of this sport drove those cars under the circumstances they drove them. We were doing the day off of, uh, 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 an event for Richard Childress last week and mm-hmm. had the three Monte Carlo there, the black three Monte Carlo. And and when you stand there and look at it, uh, you wonder how in the world they drove those things mm-hmm. for 500 miles at 200 mile an hour in Daytona Talladega. It's it's pretty remarkable. Scott Miller, he's kind of the, the talking head when, when something goes down. He's the guy that gets put in front of the camera for NASCAR to give give their sort of side of things, and that was you. Coming out of Talladega, is that is that when your and dad's friendship really started to? Because he could spend more time. Y'all were around each other more. He's obviously yeah. you're you're working more hands on with the drivers as a as opposed to being in Talladega all the time. How did you guys be, get to become such great friends? Uh, because you're you're not the enemy, but you're kind of wanting, you're, you're both wanting the same thing. You're both trying to fight for the same thing. You want a healthy sport, but he's a driver, and and you're 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 the official. Uh, how do you guys become such great friends? I, I think you – well, your dad's unique personality drove most of that. So over the course of time at racetracks, you, the, the thing about Dale Sr., he would go into the ticket office or the administration office every racetrack, every race weekend, and say hi to everybody. Really? He so, would? Yeah. yeah. Every, every employee at every racetrack would, would see Dale Sr. on race weekend. And that's kind of the relationship he had with the industry. Now – if he called up and said, "Hey, I need three extra parking tickets or something like that," he he, the relationship worked both ways. But but he knew he'd come into NASCAR during Daytona, he'd come into the office building and walk to every floor, every desk, really, and say hello. And and so that was his unique personality that did that. But along the way at the racetracks, he and I figured out with Richard Childress and and um, uh, and with Bill Junior. 
connections uh, that we had a lot in common. We liked hanging out and all that. So when I end up on the NASCAR side, now, you know, he, he says, welcome to the dark side type thing. And, yeah. and uh, it, it gets, he's, he, and we have the conversation at dinner one night with Bill Jr. and, and Dale and, and some other folks that, you know, we're going to argue about stuff. But, you know, two or three days from now, it just won't seem that important. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's argue and be fair with each other. And so as time went on, my phone would ring 6 o'clock in the morning. And I knew it was either going to be Bill Jr. or Dale Sr. <laughs> <laughs> One of the two of them because they, they were – if it's something that your dad didn't like on Sunday, first thing Monday morning, phone would ring for even, you know, before I had the first cup of coffee. But he, he worked through all those things just to get them out of the way. So he could go back and be himself with with whoever he wanted to be with himself. You know, he he was just that unique type of character. So, but but the the other thing I think that bonded us um, a lot was Bill Jr. enjoyed your dad's company a lot, he, and and Richard Childress's too, and and relied on Dale's input for what the garage area may or may not need and relied a lot on Richard's input along with Bud Moore and some of those individuals, but Richard was a key player. But Bill Jr. would put together trips, and and so it'd be me and Linda, Bill Jr., Betty Jane, Dale, Teresa, Richard, and Judy. And we'd go to Europe. We went to Monte Carlo. Jeez. We went to London and Paris, and um, (laughs) we went to Tokyo on the way to Suzuka. Yeah. And I mean, and just had a just had a really good time socially with and and meshed <laughs> together and everything. So that's that's where I think we bonded to the point to where we could have a brother talk. And if he didn't like it, he was going to take us to task. He, he'd take us to task publicly oh, on Dale, a TV camera. He would? Oh, yeah. He'd take us to that task to, over the radio in his car. Did that drive you crazy? I mean, when anybody goes to task publicly, when you have – he had already developed that, that channel in to do it privately. Did that ever – what did that mean when he would do it publicly? Well, it still stings. I mean, it, when, you, when you hear it being said and understand there's thousands of other people hearing it, it stings a little bit more. But you, you work through it. You get through it. Did you ever take it personal? I couldn't help but take it personal. You right. Know, it, he would take stuff personal. You know, if we'd, if we'd changed something back then, we were changing spoilers or whatever, you know, almost every week. If it was a change on the Monte Carlo, or he thought it fit some or helped somebody else out, he'd take that personal. You know, you just don't want me to win any more races, do you? And part of that was joking, <laughs> but but you also knew part of it had to come from somewhere. I was going to ask what you know. I didn't I didn't expect you to tell me what the disagreements would be, but but I think you kind of hit it. If it was a competition thing, that's where drivers feel it feel it the most, I guess. I would assume that that's what Dale Earnhardt would take exception to most of the time, right? Well, yeah, but but. I think that might have been an easier topic. On the, I think the other things that Dale Sr. kind of led in our industry is he smartened up other drivers and car owners on how to participate in the sport, the marketing part of it. Oh, wow. You know, the, the Chase Authentics. That was your dad that put mm-hmm. that group together, but he didn't do it on his own. He knew Jeff Gordon and, and Rusty Wallace and Dale Jarrett, and those guys needed to be part of it. You know, and so he he kind of he he won't ever get the greatest amount of credit for it, but he was that's that's how big a thinker he was. He was a student of everything, and and he understood how to make bigness out of it. Mm. So you talk about collaboration. Uh, you know, y'all going on trips, uh, Dad coming up in the holler and 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 talking to Bill or 
Bill leaning on dad, Bill leaning on Richard Childers. Uh, that's sort of uh, like today we have tons of collaboration in the sport. You got driver councils and, and competition councils and owners and the owners have formed the, the their association. And uh, it felt like in the when I was a driver, I always thought, you know, I thought the driver's council was a great idea. But initially, we, we were going to organize ourselves. Me and Denny and Jeff Gordon got together and we're going to organize the drivers. And uh, and then NASCAR said, well, we'll just have a driver's council. you know. And I thought, okay, that's a great idea for the drivers to get together and, and we'll try to help you guys sort of, you know, tell you what we need. As I got out of sport, I don't feel that way anymore. I've changed the way I think, and I don't think that all the collaboration is helpful, and it just slows and drags the sport down. Um, it felt like it was better when it was one or few, uh, one or two guys, a couple trusted drivers, a couple trusted owners, and there was a stern Bill Jr. or Mike Helton-style uh, guy at the top of the heap telling everybody this is how it's going to be. Um, is... You're, you know, you say the sports changed, the the cultures changed, and uh, things are different. Do you feel like the collaboration that we have with the drivers' councils and all of that is is uh, is that the way that is the sport going to be run, uh, or kind of controlled by this, you know, many different layers uh, between the the co- the competition committee, the owners, and the drivers, and and obviously the industry. I know the drivers' council sort of in flux now. I don't even know if that's got a future at all uh, going forward, but. Uh, just seems like the collaboration has uh, is really ramped way up because I thought it was always better when Bill Jr. was at the top going, here's what we're doing. Everybody fall in line. Uh, now it's like everybody has an opinion or they're entitled to it and voicing it. Yeah. Well, there there are a lot of opinions. And the the cycle of building these collaborative elements was probably necessary when we did it. Uh, and they'll serve a purpose. Uh, but I think in the meantime, what you're going to see is confidence in a Jim France yeah. from the owner side, uh, a confidence with with a group of drivers with Steve O'Donnell to be a good relationship to call, pick up the phone and said, hey, you know, and and those are real important elements for the integrity of the sport and for making the right decision. At the end of all these dialogues, and you're right, it seems like it t- we take too long to, to turn the boat around sometimes. Um, but I think what the spirit of that is, is in the past, all of this dialogue would be held internally by just a few NASCAR folks. Right. And we'd say, well, this is, you know, this is what we know from over here. This is what we know from over there. And we'd make the decision, and everybody that didn't like the decision would say, well, where'd that come from? What the heck? And they wouldn't understand all the back work back channel work on it the the good thing i think with the councils and all that collaboration now is is that everybody understands all the thinking that's going into it from our side we share all the thinking at the end of it i think what what we're getting better at doing uh, is sharing our thinking narrowing it down to a quick decision and then nascar will make the decision because i don't think you get any group or all the groups together you're going to have a universal decision, but I think I think there's confidence in the decisions that NASCAR starts making now, because they understand more about NASCAR's thinking, if it yeah. makes sense. But that the, the influence from a driver, the influence from a car owner, the influence from a track operator, um, those are still important and and 
are the ones that 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 happen between all the council meetings. You know those, and and Steve's building relationships with with drivers that he will call individuals. Yes, and say, what do you think about this? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, one of the you know, obviously. Dad would probably. I'm just going to assume Dad would be at the top of the list. Um, but back in you know, say let's just say 90s, early 90s. Uh, aside from him, who were the drivers that you guys trusted? Who were the guys that would come up in that holler and actually get y'all's ear on different topics and what the, what 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 the drivers wanted or needed or, or what they were talking about? Besides Dad, well, Rusty yeah. was a good voice. Dale Jarrett, uh, both Labontes, Terry, and particularly, and but Terry did it in a interesting, unique quality, How so? just quietly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but if Terry walked in the trailer and said, hey, I need to talk to you about something, you knew you better shut up and it's sit serious, down and listen yeah. because he, he See, wouldn't do it. you should have just <laughs> gone in there at Bristol quietly like Terry did it. You would have got a lot uh, more but, to say. Well, at the, and we've had some interesting conversations with Terry in Bristol. but on the <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We were the ones that were called on the carpet. Eh? But the uh, – <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I – but but in the era with your dad, he inherited that ability. Takes time. And, yeah, and and but I think the the key drivers or the, all the drivers in the garage area said, "Well, Dale, what do you think?" And if he said, "Nah, don't mess with it," then it never came up. Uh, but if he said, "Yeah, you know, I'm not too sure," but let's go together and talk about it. So he'd bring Rusty and Dale oh, Jarrett yeah. with him, you know. But sometimes he'd come in and. And just on his own, and and you 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 just we paid attention to everybody that come in there. But Dale, when Dale walked on the truck, you didn't know if he was just going to sit there and shoot the bull with you, or tell you about a deer he just killed, or or where he was going next to do something, and or if he was going to have a, a racing topic. And so <laughs> it 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 kind of all blended together. It was a social visit that could turn into a business conversation. And then uh, eventually. One day you gave, uh, you called up me and a couple other drivers and said that you wanted to get together and talk about some ideas. That was sort of the beginnings of what the Drivers Council is today. Yeah. Uh, if my memory serves correct, it was me and Harvick and Jeff Burton and Jeff Gordon, I believe. Yeah, and I think Jimmy came to one or two. Jimmy came to one yeah. or two. And we would actually meet up at uh, my Western Town. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Well, he had ne- uh, for one, this was an excuse for uh, for Mike to see it. Mike had never seen it. <laughs> and uh, it was also great to have Harvick and, and Burton and those guys to come see it. They would never, you know, uh, come. Like, come. Never well, we, would, <laughs> we were never inviting each other over. Uh, so, uh, But we did. We talked about um, double file restarts. Mike says, uh, you know, hey, what do you guys think about putting the lap guys in the back and having double file restarts, everybody, and uh, figuring out a way to, you know, make that work. And there was a, there was a good handful of things yeah. that we sort of hammered out. And I know you NASCAR already had the idea and the plan in place and moving forward, but they, uh, that's kind of how Dad, you know, you had Dad uh, and those drivers sort of doing it the way they did it, and, that, and then it transitioned into us meeting up with Mike. Um, how did that, how did the idea to get us together come about? How fruitful was that for NASCAR? And, um, and, and is that really kind of what started the driver council? You know, yeah, it, it, it started a lot of the councils actually, but the drivers were a key component when we were going to change up procedures in the race, you know, whether I remember when pit road speed came up, you know, that just, it was, it was something you had to vent through, but, but I, th- I think what in in that era where we would get together, 
uh, that group would get together. We 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 had a narrow list of things that we were getting ready maybe to pull the trigger on, but I said, "Hang hang on a second. Let's 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 talk about it with a group of drivers that we have confidence in to tell us what they're thinking before we would finalize it." If that made sense, yeah. because a lot of times just sitting around there talking about things, you you all would give us ideas that we hadn't thought about, and then we tweak it a little bit after that. But th- that was kind of the start of, of of today's version of the collaboration with the different groups, the drivers, the teams, and tracks and everything. Yeah, and with Jim coming in and, and sort of taking over a bigger role, Lisa obviously, uh, you know, taking over a bigger role as well and, and uh, creating relationships. I'd heard over the past this year that they they've uh, went on a trip with some drivers uh, you, there was two or three different trips where uh, the industry took drivers to to different places to hang out and 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 just build relationships. Uh, that's going on now. Yeah, we hadn't done that in a while, and then kind of Jim and Lisa kind of wanted to start back up to get to know both the the, the veterans, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, but then the younger guard in in separate environments. Uh, so we've had a few of those. Yeah. That's just creating relationships with the guys in the industry, and it, it's getting to know them, but giving them a chance to get, get to, to know, know us, right? You know, it, it, to get to know Steve Phelps and get to know, you know, Chase Elliott knows Steve O'Donnell pretty well, but to get to know Steve Phelps, to get to know Jim France, to get to know Lisa Kennedy in a in a casual social environment, that's 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 what built the relationship between me and your dad and the France family has always been really conscious of it's the relationships in our business that that keep us glued together yeah did nascar yeah. sort of lose its way are you because you're putting so much emphasis in the relationship building i wondered is is that a response to maybe getting away from that a bit i don't know that i would call it losing our way but i think it's certainly something they said well this worked before why don't we do it again right <laughs> yeah well i mean it, is I, there, there's times when i feel like nascar takes unfair criticism and then there's sometimes that I feel like NASCAR probably takes fair criticism that even you guys would determine is fair criticism. I mean, like, what comes to mind when you think of unfair versus fair criticism NASCAR's taken over the years? Well, I don't know. It's kind of hard to separate those. Um, but there, you're right. There's both. I mean, I, I think sometimes uh, the industry or com- a, po- a component of the industry jumps to a conclusion without knowing everything behind the decision. Of course. And, and but sometimes the 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 feedback or the 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 public outcry is oh shucks you know we might have we might have done that wrong let's back up and start over again so it goes both ways. So getting back to y'all's relationship with dad, uh, vacationing with dad, uh, y'all uh, used to have this trip in I don't know if it was always in Key West, but in the middle of the year, right around Daytona, uh, there was fishing trips um, between. You know, everybody had boats at the time. Like uh, Bill Jr. had a boat, Dad would have a boat, but a lot of I think even I don't remember did Rusty have a boat. No, but he we'd find one. Yeah, he'd find one to put him <laughs> yeah. on. Uh, but so that was another one of those deals where it was well, it was industry. It was it was Bill Jr., all you guys, and some drivers, and y'all were gonna in the middle of the season go fish and team owners and team owners. Yeah. yeah. So Richard and all those guys. So. um and they, y'all don't do that anymore, unfortunately, because now that I have a house in the Keys, y'all decided not to not to keep that tradition going. <laughs> well, when we started that, we were doing it in Bahamas. We were really? in Marsh Harbor, Bahamas. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And so what would you I imagine y'all talked about, you know, 
ideas and things y'all wanted to do or what yeah. you know where where the drivers were at where the owners were at but who was who was the best fisherman who was a good fisherman on there uh it was it, it generally come down to bill and dale really yeah and was it competitive i imagine oh yeah yeah, yeah. It, it got so competitive that you, we'd have to be sure when the weigh-in came in that there weren't sinkers and lead and stuff oh, inside the fish <laughs> they were tinkering with the rules yeah, even they, then putting weight in the fish oh my <laughs> god crazy. So it, yeah it was competitive yeah that's so funny they moved they uh they had that a couple times in key west it was a lot of fun and uh, i wish you guys still did that that's when you need to crank back up we may we may talk about that and and the other thing is, is steve phelps and jim and us we we're talking about you know now we've got a group like yourself jeff gordon jeff burton Bobby Labonte, Jamie McMurray, that are looking through a different lens. Yeah. Like you were talking earlier, you look at it differently now. And I think it, that, that'd be a good one to, to put that group back together and go to the Keys with. And, and I don't know that we'd get anything accomplished. Um, well, for you guys, you I don't might know that accomplishing things is really the goal of that trip, right? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, if we, now you'd, you'd always sit around and something would come out of them. You, you, at the end of the day, when everybody was, you know, kind of cleaned up and, and through the competitive part, and just, you'd sit around back and you'd start talking about something and it'd be inter- you'd, you'd get some input. Yeah. Hey, I got a question for you because we had put out a question on our social media and you're talking about all this general managers and stuff like this growing up. And, and if you had never, if, you talked about you started in radio, but if you had never gotten into racing, was radio your career no, path? That what, what certainly wasn't have, my strength. <laughs> what what uh, what would have been? What, what do you do if you're I, not racing? Well, you know, I think I don't know to answer the question because it just kind of flowed, and I kind of just got into it, not by design, but just got on the wagon at the right time. Uh, but but I'd probably ended up at a car dealership. Okay. Well, Dale says you studied math. Is that right? Is oh, yeah. It, you, so you're a math guy. Yeah. Numbers came easy, so when I had to sign up for a major in college, I signed up for math. <laughs> yeah. Boy, when I'm looking for easy majors, I don't think math. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't jump well, off so the page. That, that, this, that was back in the early 70s. I, you know, that, I think freshmen in high school are studying the way we studied in college. <laughs> Does it change that much? Yeah. Did, Leah, do, do you want to give us a few of what people think that Mike Helton would have been? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. You, just like in everything else, the race fans have the best ideas on what yeah. you uh, – so just listen to them. <laughs> they will tell you, right? Yeah, we had, a, we had a lot of responses to dig through. Uh, 294 people actually responded to this. So I, I went wow. through and, uh, and pulled, <laughs> <laughs> pulled some of the best ones. We had a lot of, uh, a lot of people say like a high school principal. Um, we did have some people say car, run a car dealership, which is funny that you said that. Um, Las yeah. Vegas pit boss, mafia boss, an, un, <laughs> an umpire, a prison warden. We had a few people say that you might be a funeral director or an undertaker, which I Goodness thought was wow. gracious. kind of wow. Wow. dark and twisty. Uh, <laughs> Mike Helton, attorney at law, the one that you call when you have a fender bender. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that one. Uh, he'd be a Tom Selleck stand-in or possible Tom Selleck uh, look-alike contestant. Hey, that's, that's not bad. Tom Selleck, good-looking guy, isn't he? I, just, yeah, I feel bad for Tom Selleck. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, mustache model. We had a, a, a lot of those. Oh, man. So, yeah, some, some interesting input there. <laughs> Any of them close? Well, unfortunately, we don't have to worry about that. Do we? I guess we don't. No, no, you're right about that. You're right. We'll get right back to the rest of the Mike Kelton interview. First, let's hear from our friends over at Valvoline. As many of you probably know, I was sponsored by Valvoline for several years, and I even drove a Valvoline car at Darlington back in 2015. That baby was hot. Mm. A lot of drivers are sponsored by motor oils, but Valvoline, they're a little different. They're more than just another logo on the suit 
or on the quarter panel of the race car, Valvoline is a true partner, and they always were hands-on in helping us make our engines perform better. They'd send teams over to Charlotte to work directly with our engine guys in the garage to squeeze a few more horsepower out of our engines. We literally mixed oils together, different combinations, to try to get the power that we needed for whatever track we were racing at. It didn't matter if we were running plates, road courses, short tracks, or intermediates. They always had a solution to make our stuff better. Valvoline even helped me get the monkey off my back at Martinsville in 2014 where I got my first win ever on NASCAR's oldest track. That's why Valvoline is the only Motorola I trust in my engine and it's why you should trust them in your engine too. From high mileage rides that need that thick anti-wear film to newer engines that have carbon buildup. Head over to Valvoline.com Dale to find the product spec for your engine. That's Valvoline.com Dale. Before uh, we get down the road, I wanted to... Um, ask you about the gen 7 car i don't know if that's really the name of it or not i know there's a lot of names being thrown around but uh there's a lot of excitement anticipation about this car and Mm -hmm. obviously everybody's got opinions on what this thing needs to accomplish what are some of the most important things that it accomplishes on your side of the you know on on your side of the fence what are some of the things that are key to you i think it's the key there's a lot of things that's important about this car, but uh, some of the key components is it being relative to the to the production car. Production car because where do, okay. high reliance on the OEM is is very important. Hundred percent agree with that. How close is the current model? How much further are we going to go with that? I mean, is it do we need do we, do we got a long way to go? Are we close? Is I think I think we're close when it when it comes to the 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 skin of the chassis coming off and resembling a Camaro, yep. then we're close, but we could get better. Mm-hmm. We could get better on the sides. We could get better on the tail of the car. We can get closer to it, and and I think that's that's one of the things. The other the other part is to plan for the future. Now that we're we're building a new chassis from the ground up, mm-hmm. and 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 we did the the what's Gen Five, but everybody refers to it as car tomorrow. Some people don't like it. Yeah. It served us well when we needed to be because those were tough years with the automobile manufacturers in 08 and 09. Uh, so it served its purpose. But what, what this this is not that car. This this is a very well thought out chassis that could produce a lot of efficiencies in motorsports, so that teams don't have to manufacture so many parts themselves and put race cars back together efficiently. Uh, but make room for what might happen next. Not not in the short term, but if the automobile industry and the racing industry go down the road with some type of electrification, the chassis should have room for that. No. Uh, in, in the motor compartment, whatever evolution we go to in the next generation of power plants for the cars, transmissions, paddle shifts, whatever, we 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 have the opportunity with a clean sheet of paper to build a chassis that can accommodate that easily without having to tear a car apart. Mm-hmm. And, so some flexibility. And a, wow. and flexibility, relevancy. I got you. Um, one of the th- a lot of the things that, you know, there's, you know, it, what we're seeing today with the current package of the car, the less horsepower than we had the year before, more downforce, is this all sort of a, te- a test and tune process, this the new model cars coming in two, three years, is this a bit of a learning process of, of eventually what we want out of that Gen 6, Gen 7 car with power and downforce, aerodynamics and so forth? I think a lot of people, a lot of fans maybe don't see 
the connection between what we're doing today with our cars and that new car coming down the road. Is that what you guys are doing, is trying to connect the dots to get to where y'all want to be from a, from a downforce and power standpoint in this new car? Yes, uh, and, and that's a soft yes, because what, what, what Steve and his group have come up with that we're racing with in 2019 is, is horsepower and aerodynamic that, that we could accomplish quickly on the current vehicle. And and so the idea was to take that to where the future vehicle would be similar. Yeah. But but see what this before we made the commitment, see what this package would would be like. Uh, a lot around the the 550 horsepower is in conversations with the engine builders and the manu- and the automobile manufacturers. Is most of their performance vehicles are 550 horsepower vehicles. The architecture in our industry today is way more efficient at 550 horsepower than it is at 750 horsepower. I, I know, I get the fact, and I'm, I'm a NASCAR fan first and foremost, that why can't it be 1,000 horsepower? Why can't motorsports be an uncontrolled number of horsepower? And, and it could, but, but it, will, it will put too big of an economic burden on the sport to go down that road. Mm. So... This is one of the things that NASCAR has to make decisions on is to we have to have relevant packages that are the best efficiencies we can have in our sport so that that individuals that want to be a team owner can afford to be a team owner. And and that's tough right now. But yeah. but a lot of these steps that we're taking gets us closer to that line where people can be team owners in our sport, whether it's in the truck series, Xfinity, ARCA, K&N, or CUP. Um, and a lot of these decisions that we're making, and particularly that go into the Gen 7, uh, are economic decisions that, that Marshall Carlson will be sure that there's still a Hendrick Motorsports. Mm-hmm. The Dillons will be sure there's an RCR. Yeah, I think the, the, the big difference, the big changes that we've had from last year to this year with the car uh, between the uh, downforce and the power were much easier for me to accept and, and be on board with knowing there was an ob. Uh, there was an objective with the Gen 7 car, knowing that this was all to be uh, able to produce a better car a couple years from now, a new version that we will all be happy about. And we had to learn these things. We had to do these things to get there. And um, so I'm glad to hear that that's the case. Getting back to Dad real quick, there's one, one thing that you know I wanted to talk to you about. It's a bit of a difficult subject to discuss, but um, typically when people come on this show and they have any kind of connection such as you do with my dad and that, that, that the day we lost dad, um, we've never sat down and really went through that. I don't, we're not going to do that right now. Um, that's for us to do another day, but, um, a lot of the world, uh, and the industry fans alike were introduced to Mike Hilton the day you had to get up on that podium and deliver that news that we had lost dad. Um, if you can't, uh, tell me when you have that information, uh, y'all are great friends. Uh, did you realize, I guess, in that moment what you had to do, what you were about to do? And um, was, I mean, obviously, I imagine that might have been the hardest thing you've ever had to do. Uh, can you, can you kind of help me understand, I guess, what you went through to go through that process and even maybe what the hours were like after that, what all that, you know, you, I, don't, I think you might have been living in Daytona at the time. Yeah. 
Um, so you didn't, it wasn't like you had to get up and go home like we did or the rest of the industry. Uh, you drove down the road to the house at some point in the day, but you got to go up there and deliver that news. How did you do that? How, I mean, that to me, you were, to me, that was the toughest thing to do for anyone that whole day, uh, was to go up there and tell everyone what had happened. Uh, I don't know how you did it. And, um, how, how did you? I'm not sure how I did it, but the the, the sequence of events um, got us to the point where, okay, we, you know, a lot of folks had already assumed what had happened, but we had to authenticate it by by, by making an announcement. So we're 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 back from the hospital into the garage area there, and and um, Bill Jr. If you remember, had gone through cancer, and so he was what he was on his toes, so to speak, but but he didn't have the energy that he didn't want to do it. Um, and Brian and Paul Brooks and myself and Bill Jr. and, and others were sitting and saying, we, you know, we've got to go make the announcement. And, and so Bill just kind of pointed to me and said, you go do it. And I said, well, what do I say? I said, yeah. well, you know, we just... You know, we just lost the greatest driver we've ever had. What am I supposed to say? And I think it was Brian or Paul Brooks both at the same time stepped in and said, just say that. You know, just say we lost him. And I, um, I, I still think that the, the, the realness of all that hadn't sunk in. I, I, still, I still thought that there was part of me that thought, well, I'm going to wake up here before I have to go do this. And I never got a chance to wake up. I just had to go do it and and um, walked in and, and said what I said. And I don't know that it was scripted or it just came out the way it came out. And um, and then, you know, we, we we went from there and did the best we could to figure out what next. Yeah, do you – I don't – you remember the rest of the day? Yeah. I, so um, at the hospital um, – Teresa was and uh, Taylor were staying on the boat, the Intimidator down at the Chart House, mm-hmm. and and so when we knew uh, the final results of things, then um, I told Richard and Judy, um, and I told Teresa, I said, if you don't want to stay on the boat, you can come stay with me and Linda, because your dad had stayed down there during the twenty-four hour race, yeah, and and she, he'd call her up, and so the, he, she knew that connection anyway so we um we sent a car with her and taylor down to the boat and then they went to the house um i had i left my car at the racetrack and there was um there was two other people with me i think it might have been michael and richard maybe it wasn't richard i think richard and judy came in a little bit later on uh so we all kind of just gathered at my house that afternoon Taylor and Teresa stayed overnight um, somebody else did too but I can't remember exactly it wasn't Michael and, and Elizabeth or, or Richard and Judy but um, we kind of operated out of there and that's um, uh, and it just all kind of flowed there wasn't any there wasn't any plan or design right. or anything yeah. that that evening just kind of unfolded because obviously there was a lot moving every step of the way and 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 staying close uh, to Teresa and Taylor was, was, was important and Richard and Judy. And, um, 
and uh, I remember we we got to the house and I got a phone call from uh, the track security guy, and uh, and he said, um, "Do you know where Teresa Earnhardt is?" I said, "Yeah, she's here with me." Why? The president of the United States wants to call her, and that was George Bush. Yeah, and uh, and so he ended up calling the house and talking to Teresa that night and. Um, uh, just the, the strange little things that you kind of remember, and I—I'll never get into all the other details sure. that I remember. But uh, uh, um, we didn't sleep much, and you guys didn't sleep much that night. And it was—I uh, don't remember nothing about. Yeah. After leaving the hospital, I remember going to the bus and talking to Tony Senior and Tony Junior, and I don't remember nothing after that. I don't remember how we got home or yeah. what I did that night or where I was at. Um, did you? I mean, you're. For me, I had I had to, you know, I had a lot of emotions about going back to the racetrack, and and Rockingham uh, was the next race. Uh, we had a great uh, win with uh, Steve Park, and it was a interesting, uh, very emotional, positive day with you know with the pre race. Every everybody was walking around with their three hats on. Um, what was your emotions, I guess, going forward? Like you know, is it, in, in the industry, I mean, you guys had to have a plan for the sport and had to make decisions for the sport and the betterment of the sport. Um, but personally, did you have doubts about your future? Did you did you think, man, what are we going to do? Did you have doubts about the future of the sport? I mean, how did you guys, as a as an industry, uh, pull the pieces together going forward? Yeah, and, and I don't know that that uh, you know Bill was was sick and and. I worried a lot about him, yeah, because of his relationship with your dad. But the the mechanics of it all, uh, you know, between Daytona and Rockingham, the service and and it it from an industry perspective and personally too, I thought it was almost kind of a relief to go back to the racetrack. Yeah, it didn't feel right, and that may not have been exactly what you wanted to do, but there was some there was some relief to getting back. It was like putting the pieces back together and keeping going, but at the same time being uh, very uh, understanding of what happened. And and I don't think I ever worried about the future of the sport. And I never questioned my job in the sport at that point. Um, um, I think we were more focused on finding an answer to how these things happen, you know, because if – you remember in 2000, it was it was Adam Petty and Kenny Irwin yep. and, and Tony Roper mm-hmm. um, in very similar situations. And so we had a series of things going on, which is what established the R&D Center over here at Concord Regional Airport is, is a focused effort on finding out why this is happening in our sport and stop it. And then uh, we were working with Tony George and the Indianapolis group and in building the safer barriers, and we were in the middle of developing all of those things. Um, and so while while we were finding the answers because the world wanted to say, hey, what happened here? You know? Yeah. We we lost one of the greatest drivers in, in the history of motorsports. So what? What what the heck happened? You know? So we had an obligation to figure that out. We had to go through that and that took us till August, I think it was, before we, we were able to get in front of everybody and say, here's what we found. And we used experts from all over the world to get those answers. And in the meantime, it was, how do we stop this from happening again? You know, 
we can't we can't go back and we don't have a time machine. So the best tribute is to be sure it doesn't happen again. And so we turned the wick way up and everybody in the world wanted to play a role in it. We that was the most concerted effort around making race cars safer that that ever happened and still exists today because of that. And when I think about that day, I I, I always land on the fact that that um, you know, hopefully we've done good from that. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I saved countless lives with the the innovation and the safety that we have in our cars today. You talk about Terry Labonte being a man of few words. I've probably had about thirty total with Terry Labonte, <laughs> and I would say about seventy five percent of those are about safety and what I had in my car and what he thought I should change, and all that. Uh, I think the whole sport was in a in a in a in a mode of trying to improve and trying to be better and and sort of eliminate those issues. Um, well, I, I wanted to, you know, that to me that I know that you would not want that to be a defining moment in your life, but it is. It was you going up there to that podium to deliver that news. I can't think of anyone else that I would have wanted to do that. Um, and you know, you always protected that. Uh, our family, you always protected me uh, as a friend. You're a friend of many people uh, in the garage, many drivers. And, uh, you know, we appreciate you and, and appreciate everything you've done. I know you're going to be around for a long time and, and be a big part of the sport. You're around longer than I ever thought you'd be. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but I appreciate you coming on the show, and, uh, and I hope you enjoyed it. I did. Yeah. It's fun to be here. Thank you. Yes, sir. And I hope you'll come back. Anytime. Hiring used to be hard. Very hard. Hard. Very hard, Mike. Hiring used to be hard. Still still is. It still is. Not if you use (laughs) ZipRecruiter. Multiple job sites. You got stacks of resumes and a confusing review process. Does that all sound familiar, Mike? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But today, hiring can be easy. And you only have to go to one place to get it done. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't just stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so that you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five of the employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-L-E-J-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. It is time for the Valvoline DIY question of the week. Dale Jr., coolest things hanging in your garage. Could be anything. What you got? I mean, you know, I think I have some sheet metal. I feel like uh, some of the coolest stuff is my is my own sheet metal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hey, that's okay. I, I hate to admit it. Well, the thing about it is, is like the the pieces that I really appreciate the most. Actually, Amy, let, Amy, I have one piece of sheet metal hanging in my house. This was the uh, you know it's it, it's great to be able to get some stuff from Dad's cars or or some other important stuff. Um, that's got some significance, but 
the uh, late model stock stuff from my career, I never hung on to none of it. I never yeah. thought to. I, I'm so frustrated that I never thought, man, I should keep this. And But there was a lot of it. We went through plenty of doors and, and parts and pieces and raced four years and, and bent up a lot of stuff. But eventually, uh, you know, in the last probably 10 years, eight years, I started thinking, man, I, if I could find some of that stuff, I'm going to get it. And it's been expensive because uh, people, you know, don't want to come, don't want to come, uh, easy with it they don't want to turn it over for nothing but amy found amy kelly and and a few other people for i think my maybe my 40th birthday i'm not real sure but one of my birthdays they got a door the right door from a late model car that i raced in 96 and um it's in great shape but it just that's i was able to put that up in my house most of the other stuff i have out in the garage uh, but anything that's mine, I got a, I got that door from that late model from 96. I, actually, it was on the car in 95 and 96. I had the door, uh, I have a side off of the uh, first bush race I, I raced at Myrtle Beach in 1996. Really? Yeah. I don't know how I came with that. I came up with that. But all this stuff I never, I never kept, and I've had to track it down. Um, so... I mean, there's stuff on eBay now. It's just ridiculous, guys. There's a bumper from my Sundrop car from 1994, and this guy wants 2,500 bucks for it. Mm. I just can't do that, man. Don't. I just cannot pay that. That's but crazy. I'd love to have it, but uh, if I can get it at a decent price, uh, that's what I'll do uh, or trade. I like to trade, but uh, that's the stuff that's probably the most important to me because it's so hard to come by, and it's part of my life. It tells a little, tell, you know, it's help help. It's part of my story. That's pretty good stuff. I mean, listen, when you come with the coolest things in your garage, I think you got people beat uh, with uh, all the stuff you got. And, I mean, that's in your garage. Actually, I'm thinking about the, sh- the, the, the Dirty Dome shop. Yeah. Do you got cool things hanging in any, in any of your other garages? Well, <laughs> yeah, we have we got this, multiple garages. Well, we yeah. the, <laughs> you know, we have the door or the roof of the two-car in here. It's not even the real thing, but to me, it's still the coolest thing in the room. We got I agree. A, we got a door off of TJ's uh, street stock car that I helped build. I helped build and fund that car to be put together, and it, that door is in here. Uh, that we won our Junior Motorsports won their first ever race mm. uh, with TJ driving that That's car right. at Concord Motor Speedway in a street stock race. And um, so, I mean, those 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 things. The sheet metal is really what I'm, I dig. I love it. All Mike, right, Mike, you got anything hanging in yours? That's really cool. Um, first of all, I don't. I have a barn. I don't have a garage, and I uh, I, I hang stuff in my barn. All right, yeah. And so, same thing. so what's uh, in so, your barn? But but it's mostly tools. In like, I do have this small collection of license plates, like old light. Like oh, I got cool. John Deere Alabama stuff. I mean, that I got hanging on the outside of my barn, like tin. I like I like some of those old antique tin stuff yeah. that you hang on the barn. So that's kind of what I have. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, listen, thank you, Valvoline, from high mileage rides that need that thick anti-wear film to newer engines that have carbon buildup. Head over to Valvoline.com slash Dell. That's Valvoline.com slash Dell to find the product spec for your engine. So this is the final part of this four-week series that we've been doing on Navy SEAL John Tomlinson. And if you listened last week, I encourage you to do so. Last week was an emotionally tough episode um, you heard the sisters of John Tumelson say that the healing never stops. Well, sort of like Mike Helton alluded to today on this show, following the loss of Dale Earnhardt, there is good that can come of things. We can respond in a positive way to carry on the legacy. 
And as uh, Helton alluded to with uh, Dale Earnhardt, that's the same thing that can happen. And, and this is what we'll learn today has uh, transpired in the loss of John Tummelson. Take a listen. Christy and Joy, it's been a privilege to hear John's story. What motivates you today to continue sharing it? I think being able to share his story, having opportunities like this, when you lose someone you love, your biggest fear is people are going to forget them. You don't want people to forget. I I heard you say opportunities like this, which I take to mean seeing John honored with the patriotic paint scheme on the number 88 this weekend. How exactly did that happen? Our cousin Greg has worked for Nationwide, our cousin for, I think, over 20 years as a CPA. And so he called me and he's like, hey, in this opportunity through work with Nationwide, can you give me a call? It's about John. So I called him and he's like, you know, they have this idea. They told me about what they do every Memorial Day. And he's like, they selected John to be the one that they'll do the car. Then I called Christy and said, hey, you know, are you on board with this? And she, without hesitation, said yes, too. And so I guess it's just ironic because my ex-boyfriend got me into NASCAR and Dale was our driver. And um, and I remember John saying to him, I can't believe anybody in this world would get my sister this hooked to NASCAR, you know? So I think, how ironic is that? He said that, and now he's going to be on the number 88 car. There's millions of names they could have put on the car. Mm -hmm. It's humbling. I noticed the paint scheme doesn't just honor John. There are 30 stars, each representing a service member lost. And even a paw for the service dog who was the 31st on that helicopter. Tell me about that. The one thing that I think both of us agreed, we said that, I mean, John would not want this attention. He'd, He'd roll his eyes if people called him a hero. You know, he just, he was doing his job. So we said, don't make it just about him. Like, we want the other 31 that were with him honored, too. Todd Kubley, you are with Nationwide, and you brought Christy and Joy here today. Being so close to this program, I I imagine it gets pretty emotional for you as well. Every time I tell the story about what we're doing, I beam with pride. And every time I talk about John... I call him a superhero because to me, the the Navy SEALs and and anyone in the military is as close to being a superhero as as I think we'll find. The sacrifice they make on the family side, obviously John paid the ultimate sacrifice, but the sacrifices they make for us uh, to allow us to do, uh, have this conversation here today and and, and get to go to the race on on Sunday, they're just superheroes in my opinion. And they said the same thing that every family said is, you know, when his name is not said anymore, that's when we feel like we really lost him. So for us to be able to continue to say his name and say it over and over again is, is what we take the most pride in. I have to confess, I am not a big NASCAR fan. Not that I'm not a fan. I just, I watch it when it's on, but I don't like, so I have to confess that. But what I learned from coming here today that I think is so interesting and ties into John is, you know, as we toured and looked at the cars I think there's such a correlation because NASCAR is all about pushing the cars to the extreme limit. It's about teamwork, everybody working together. You know, it's not just about Alex driving the car and being a great driver. It's everything that goes on behind the scenes. And I think that so encompasses John and his thought. He knew that he wasn't good just because of the training that he had. He knew it took the whole team to get him where he was. And that he could count on the people that had his back. And so I think 
knowing that and how John trained and then learning all this about NASCAR and how NASCAR works, I think it's pretty cool to see the correlation. Since we lost John, how special has Memorial Day become for you? But Memorial Day for me definitely has more of a meaning because I think as an average American citizen, no matter how much American pride you have, you go about your day, you don't realize or you forget that there's people on the other side of the world that are putting their life on the line for you every single day. And so I think sometimes it's easy to take for granted our freedoms and what that, you know, how those freedoms really have come to be. And so for me, I think losing John put those things in perspective of just the sacrifice, you know, not even the sacrifice of John giving his life, but the sacrifice that all military families do, you know, that our family had to put up with a lot of birthdays and holidays that he wasn't there even when he was alive and kids that, you know, grow up and their dads aren't there for their birthdays or to experience those things. So I think it probably just, not that the day is harder, I think it just put things in perspective for me. When we see that 88 car this weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway, what is it you want us to know most about the name that's on it? Navy SEAL John Tomlinson. He was a brother and a son and an uncle and a friend. And he would have given his shirt off his back for a stranger. I mean, he just was that type of guy and that he loved what he did and he gladly laid down his life for every single person that's watching that race that day and and I think if he would have known when those doors were closed what the end result would be I'm 100% confident he would have gone anyway. Mm-hmm. And now you guys know the story of John Tomlinson, and it's been a, a pleasure for us to help tell it, and I hope that now... Uh, when you watch the race this weekend, the World 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and you see that number 88 nationwide car on the track, uh, it means something a little more to you. And that is our hope. And uh, we really appreciate Nationwide. We appreciate the uh, Tomlinson family. Uh, and most importantly, we appreciate all of the men and women of our armed forces um, for doing what they do for us. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there. White flag. Say hi. Hey. <laughs> hello. Hello. <laughs> if she said her first word in Hello. the microphone that would be amazing that would be epic Hello. mic drop Hello. you're gonna get quiet <laughs> what perfect I love, love it, it. <laughs> alright white flag is brought to you by Isla Isla's bringing white flag today she's sitting here at the table hey Isla's got a lot to say that's right. We're hoping for a first word. Listen, Dale Jr., we already have a victory from Indianapolis to talk about, and it is that you will be able to go to your first Indianapolis 500 this weekend and drink 
Pepsi products because Pepsi, our longtime friends and partners, uh, have now obtained the pouring rights to the Speedway. I'd like to think really? that they did this for you, Dale. And and for uh, oh, she's about to. <laughs> oh Lord! Here's where it goes down. She doesn't so. like Mike's white flag. Uh, <laughs> hey, she can get up and go though, can't she? Yeah, she's, she's running across that studio. Um, first of all, I, I almost think that they would like to do this. Uh, they did this for you to go to Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but the fact is they've been working on this for a long time. Uh, hard to believe that they have been our partners for as long as they have. I want to say congratulations. I know you do too. So Indianapolis has the pouring rights to PepsiCo. Other way around. Pouring, pouring Pepsi right. has the pouring rights to Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So wait okay. a minute. So Mike, um, Indianapolis has the rights to pour Pepsi. Yes. Yes, Did they I have that the right. right that Indianapolis. No, Pepsi has the rights to pour Indianapolis. No, we can't pour Indianapolis. You can't pour Indianapolis. No. Okay. No, you're right. They pour Pepsi, don't they? That's yes. right. Is PepsiCo going to make some new milk? So much like much like different uh, fast food restaurants are. are That's right. Exclusive to exactly. Pepsi. Uh, now racetracks are as well, and Indy is now on the list. If Woo. you go to Indy, you're going to get Mountain Dew. You're going to get Pepsi. All the great yeah. products. All the great yeah. PepsiCo products. They've been a great partner of ours for a very long, uh, very long time. Yeah. And congratulations. I mean, that's Indianapolis. That's it. That's I mean, said. Yeah. Get, get Indy, you're good. Okay. Uh, for the first time in Dale Jr. Download history, we have a bonus episode coming your way. We talked yeah. about that uh, a little while ago. Uh, look for it this Friday prior to Charlotte Race and Memorial Day weekend. All this talk about Dale driving the pace car for the 8500 uh, makes us want to give a shout-out to Chevrolet. You're going to be driving a 2019 Corvette Grand Sport. So uh, you, you, you actually talked about uh, doing that, but you didn't talk about the nerves that come with that. Now, you've already done the Brickyard 400 pace car driving. You ended up in kind of a an odd area. You got all this oh. uh, worked out. You think? No, I don't. Oh, we I don't. still don't know where. That's to end the thing. Up. That's the thing about doing these. You never know what's going to happen. You never know where you're going to end up and how you're going to get uh, back into the infield safely. Yeah. So I do know one way, but you know that involves jumping a fence. over a fence. Right. <laughs> right. That's right. Let's not do we that do have again. that one. Uh, so our TV show for the next two weeks airs at its normal time for the, ne- uh, you know, I, I'm assuming that, um, yes. that's Tuesdays at 5 PM Eastern on NBC sports network. Lastly, Dale, I don't know if you noticed, we got Will Powers, Penske racing sent over Will Powers, uh, diecast card sitting right in front of you there. That was mighty nice of them, but so he- cool. here is one more. Roger Penske himself has sent you a gift. Oh no. Yeah. We're oh. giving it to you right now. My goodness. It's been hiding under the table the entire day. I have kicked it over three times. <laughs> yes, he has. Oh, it's heavy. Giant book. It is a giant book. Did Mike bother to open up the plastic for you? There you no, go. no. I don't go oh, open up his box. presents for him. <laughs> oh, it is a giant book. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whoa. This is from Roger himself. That is a, it's an encyclopedia. Oh, I likes it. 50th anniversary of the Indy 500, Team Penske. As we celebrate Team Penske's 50th anniversary of the Indy 500 this month, I want to welcome you to the greatest spectacle in racing for the first time. I want to thank uh, Pinsky for sending that to me. That's pretty bad. It is that's very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Nice. Man. Huge book. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's cool. And, and lots of pictures. Just the, just the way I like it. And <laughs> I would <laughs> I would say have a good time in Indianapolis. My I will. Friend. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, do a great job. I'm sure. We'll be watching. Odd history. We got we have two odd histories, and one's uh, since we have the uh, World 600 and the Indy 500 this weekend. We're gonna give you a little bit of history on both. First off, uh, for the uh, Indy 500, I'll be driving the pace car. I won't be doing this. Actor James Garner (laughs) drove the pace car for the 1975 Indy 500. He was the star of the movie Grand Prix Mm. and of the TV show The Rockford Files. 
Four days before the Indy 500, he got a speeding ticket for driving one of the pace cars too fast through downtown Indianapolis. He was clocked doing a 59 in a 40 miles per hour zone. This racing enthusiast... This wasn't much of a ticket for him. It wasn't much of a ticket, yeah. I mean, guys, guy just did a movie about Grand Prix. <laughs> um, at a court date a month later, he paid a $100 fine. Jeez. You could just go. drive the pace don't, car don't, Yeah, you just take the pace car. See ya. All right, for the World 600, we have a little odd history from 1973. Charlotte Motor Speedway paid owner Junior Johnson to build a car, and they held a contest for fans to vote on a deserving driver to race the car in the World 600. After two months, short track racer and legend Billy Scott Won the contest with over 70,000 votes. In the race, he suffered mechanical problems, finishing 22nd. One year later, they held a similar contest. Scott, again, won the vote. He was sidelined just after halfway, finishing 24th. The number one car, that was the number he had, he drove, both years was entered under the team Big Chance Special. All right. <laughs> Billy Scott, I mean, the guy's a legend. Heck yeah. Uh, won tons of races, raced against him. I think he raced against Ralph, my dad. He beat out Dick Trickle, Harry Gant. Yeah. Stick Elliott, a lot of a lot I of big mean, names. Yeah. Oh, yeah. in the votes, yeah. Yeah, you did. I'm looking at that now. Yeah. Good. That's your odd history, guys. I enjoyed the show. Thanks, Mike Helton, being on the show. Yep. Make sure you uh, follow all the social media handles, Dirty Mo Media, and uh, tune in to the show Tuesday, NBCSN, 5 p.m. We'll see you. This bit of badassery was made by Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.